Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. No, I don't feel fine. Still have my separated shoulder. Can you believe some of the people here at our uh, Mothership Connection station of the Frank Morano Network? They make me say that. Wanted me to go play golf with them today at a golf outing. I said, first off, I've got a separated shoulder. I really hate, I loathe, I despise golf. Oh, yeah, but people want to see you. Yeah, what do they want me to be, their caddy? That's all they wanted. And, you know, I said, you could forget about it in language that if I were to repeat it here, we'd lose our FCC license. Can you believe that? They wanted me to go golfing. Uh, you know, I'm like Rodney Dangerfield. You remember that movie he was in, golfing? I get no respect. No respect. Then they give me all these orders here. What to do? Frank wants this done. Frank wants this done. Frank wants this done. I've been doing this for 35 years, talk radio. He used to be my intern. He used to be my producer. Look at this. Volumes and volumes of notes. And then I'm stuck with his crew, which really bothers me to know. And, oh, some of you are saying, who the hell is this? Of course, you know who this is. It's Curtis Sliwa. You know, always broadcasting Curtis, right? That's right, R.E.M. You can tell right away Frank Morano would never have R.E.M. You know, for him, it's Rudy Valley, brother, can you spare a dime? And the way Biden and Putin, depending on your politics, who you're blaming for the inflation, that's probably going to be a very popular song. Brother, can you spare a dime? Because I got to go to the dollar store in order to feed myself, although you can't get anything for a dollar in the dollar store. <sighs> Look at this. Then I'm stuck here with Matt Blaze, clearly a fugitive, the board operator, constantly. I I would say that he's got so many aliases, and nobody wants to do a deep dive on him. By the way, uh, who do we have here as our phone, telephone talent coordinator? Ken. Oh, my God, Ken. I, I wish I had Avery, who is the brother with me on the weekends, and that I had... uh, Broadway Bill with me was on loan from great station, FM station. FM stands for freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and actually Frank Morano. And we broadcast to not only AM active-minded stations, but FM stations, too. That's part of the Frank Morano network. Oh, my God, how many times do I have to repeat this? I'm going to end up biting my lips and tongues and taking a Sharpie and impaling myself. But none of my crew is there. And then overseeing all of this, you know, it's the brown-nosed producer, Alex. So we got Alex, Ken, and a guy that I don't believe is who he claims he is, but nobody wants to check it out, Matt Blaze. 
So let's go through some of the details as I forge ahead, take you to the break of dawn, or at least right before the break of dawn, with the separated shoulder, which has popped out many times before, nothing new. But could you imagine they wanted me to actually play golf? What, tee up the ball for them, carry their bags, tout, you know, tabulate their scores? Are you nuts? But I'm going to tell you later on in the show exactly where Frank Morano. His beautiful wife, Rachel, is, and the 40-pound son of theirs, Carmine, is. I know exactly where they are, and it's not where he said he would be. And I can actually make my presentation and convince all of you, including his own staff that has window shades on their eyes, cotton balls in their ears, and a zipper on their mouth. They've taken the code of Morano Omerta. I know exactly where he is. And he actually, by his own world... Words sealed his own fate as to where he is, even though he tried to distance himself from where he actually is. Oh, he did a very effective job last week before he picked up and left. By the way, also, uh, we're going to be discussing the Loch Ness Monster. I was in Glasgow. That's 25 miles away. I was in the flats. I was dealing with Protestants wanting to kill Catholics. You know, they call the Catholics there, Mickeys. They call the Protestants, Rangers, or whatever, not New York Rangers. And I had a chance to go to Loch Ness, 25 miles away. I missed that opportunity. We're going to give you an update. And everything goes full circle, right? Oh, Pelosi, uh, where is you? Really? We're going to go to war for Nancy Pelosi? Are you out of your minds? But, you know, this new generation of hipsters and millennials, oh, my God, they're not Chinese. What are we going to do without our TikTok? Ah! You know, whatever happens has happened before. There's nothing new. We've gone full circle on this. And I, being a baby boomer, I'm going to provide, again, documentary evidence to this effect as to why this has happened before. And let's not aid the military-industrial complex, either for the Red Chinese or especially the uber-capitalists here in America. Remember the words of Ike Eisenhower, I know many of you. Uh, who's that? Who said, beware the military-industrial complex. They want to take every nickel, dime, and penny you have, including after inflation puts you into bankruptcy. They'll take whatever's left. And then we're going to be talking about Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. Oh, my God, the crime stats are out. They've they've gone up. And it's national night out tonight. I'll be making the rounds. Will he even show his face in some of the neighborhoods where they've had a 68% increase in violent crime? He played y'all for suckers when he ran for me. Oh, I'm the law and order former cop. Bull feathers. I campaigned against them. I was the alternative. And all of you said, not your time, Curtis. And how many neighborhoods now that I visit? You got people wearing buttons and they have posters and they got bumper stickers that say, don't blame me, I voted for sleeper. But hey, 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 we'll discuss that. But Governor Abbott has actually invited Eric Adams down to the border area. And actually, the Adams administration said, we're not going to go down there and give you a photo op, Abbott. 
I'm saying to myself, if J-Lo or Beyonce were there, he'd be standing knee-deep in the Rio Grande and, you know, doing Live at Five with Eric. Eric Adams only wants to be seen with celebrities, not working border patrols or the peasants or ice we call thugs. Now we actually found somebody worse than de Blasio. Actually found somebody. And right now, it is... East Coast time, it is almost a quarter after one, and guess where he is? Not down by the Rio Grande, not at Nuevo Laredo, he's not in Calexico, he's not in Juarez, he's not in Tijuana or Ensenada, he's in the Club Zero Bond, where he always is at night, getting wine, dining, pocket line, a private club, where whatever happens in the Club Zero Bond stays there. And see if you can take a reverse mortgage or a payday loan to pay for the monthly fee to be a member. But let's get into it because, um, Matt Blaze, you sort of took my sparkle away in the way you were playing REM. This is the end of the world. Hold off before you play it. I want to give our numbers out, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And I see they're all typed instructions here from Frank Morano on how to give the number out. I've been doing this for 35 years. He used to be my intern, used to be my producer. But let's get back to REM because we got a problem. Please, a little REM, maestro. Okay, you remember that video, right? For a while there, that's all they played on MTV. You see the guy there with bows and arrows going through his head, his heart, and they missed the apple on his head, right? I thought that was a real freaky video. Never liked the music, but it's so appropriate to the fear, fright, hysteria, and hype that has taken place in just the last 24 hours. Let me tell you why. Because we have been threatened with nuclear annihilation. All right, enough of that, okay, <laughs> Oh, my God. Get that off my playlist. R.E.M. Those guys have monkey pox. Oh, that's right. That's an epidemic. That's going to wipe out the world. Monkey pox. Oh, my God. We don't have enough vaccinations. Look, it's a quick remedy. If you have that urge to merge, if you so need to be in the company of a fellow man, either as a homosexual or a bisexual. Just put a Jimmy Camp on, please. And more importantly, how about abstaining from sex until you're fully vaccinated? And the New York City Department of Health, they give you some advisories if you are so intent on having sex. If you can't stop yourself because you're obsessed with sex, do it with your clothes on. Oh, that's going to stop the spread, right, of monkeypox. Or... Stand six feet away from one another. Make sure you maintain eye contact. You and your fellow male that you're eyeballing or whatever he wants to identify himself as being out of the 72 terms that exist. Check to see that you're not suffering from erectile non-performance. And then just pleasureize yourself from a distance of six feet. Socially distance, please. And wear a mask. Please. Wear a Dr. Fauci autographed mask. Guaranteed you will not get monkeypox. One of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Hey, how about 
just don't have sex. You know, just chill out. Wait till we get some uh, vaccines. You think you can? No, no, it's summertime. It's like I'm, it's like heterosexuals during spring break. Imagine telling them, no sex when you go down to the panhandle or Daytona Beach. Or you, all of a sudden you go to Acapulco in Mexico and avoid being turned into collateral damage by the narco-terrorists. But, oh, why do you have spring break? To have sex! Oh, that's right. Frank does not indulge. I forgot. He's his certain mores. We're going to get into that later on. Not wanting to dance. Yeah, Matt Blaze, you're a dancer. I'm a dancer. And uh, he's got two left feet. He doesn't want to dance. And now he's actually imposed it on a very influential and well-heeled community. You may not be aware of this. I found out. That's how I know where he is. He's not where he claims he is. Oh, we're going down to Cape May for a week. Bull feathers. He's not in Cape May. Anyway, our, no- our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-922. So, nation number one that wants to drop the big one on our head. In fact, they're aiming it right like that great movie, remember, years ago, Failsafe which recreated the Cold War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, between Nikita Khrushchev, if you remember, he was at the General Assembly of the United Nations, banging his shoes in a vodka rage, saying, we will bury you. And actually, we exploited that and made a lot of posters, made a lot of PSAs, and everybody said, we we got to duck and cover and kiss our tuchus. Oh, we're going to get into that. Because there are new PSAs telling you that duck and cover is not the route to go. I know duck and cover works. I just tell you this. If you're going to practice baby boomers, take a Bengay bath first so you have a little dexterity and a little flexibility. And please wipe your tuchus because you don't want to stick your head down there for more than two minutes. You'll asphyxiate. We're going to get to all of that momentarily. But there's a whole queue of nations now who want to do what was threatened in failsafe, if you remember the nature of that. So you have Henry Fonda, who was the JFK character, speaking to Nikita Khrushchev on a secure line. And they were talking about how one of our SAC Air Force bombers was on the loose with orders to bomb Moscow, and we couldn't. We couldn't avert it. The orders were, even if the president of the United States calls up, Boy, he would have made a pretty good president, right? He's a very good actor doing that, Henry Fonda. If Henry Fonda called you up and you were in SAC Air Force Command and you're already on, on your way to Moscow to deliver your payload, you are to ignore it and drop the nuclear weapons right on the Moscovites. And as you know, the nature of that movie was that we did. And Henry Fonda called Nikita Khrushchev, the Nikita Khrushchev character, and said, we can't stop it. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop a bomb on New York City, right over the Empire State Building. My own wife is giving a speech at a luncheon today. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We'll swap out Moscow for New York City, right? And then we call it even. We never found out what happened afterwards. Like, was there a part two or a part three? Or was this Armageddon? Was this Apocalypse? You know, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Remember Robert Duvall and Apocalypse. Now I love the smell of DEET in the morning from the spraying of all these mosquitoes. It gets into my lungs. 
And it stimulates me, and I say, my God, is this a carcinogen? Is this going to do damage to me? I know it's going to take out the mosquitoes. But you see, Matt Blaze, you caused me to digress. So number one nation that got in the queue earlier today was the whacked-out Ayatollahs in Iran, in Tehran. You know, with the shmatas on their head, uh, a little bit too tight. So the Ayatollahs on Friday, the day of Juma, the day of prayer, uh, in which the Muslims go to their mosques, and then all of a sudden you have the, uh, the head imam gives the speech, you know, and it's always... Death to America, the big Satan. Death to the little Satan, Israel. I can basically repeat it in Farsi, if I could speak Farsi. Although, maybe I should go to Great Neck on the North Shore, where all of the uh, Jewish Iranians, Persians, they love to be called Persian. Don't call me an Iranian. The Persians now live, and they don't sell carpets. Don't, don't spread that stereotype, please. But on the day of prayer, Juma, the imams across Iran... Threatened death and destruction to the United States by dropping an atomic weapon on all of us in uh, New York City. Do you know why, Matt Blaze, they picked New York City? Because there's a hell of a lot of Jews here. That's what Ramsey Youssef said when they brought him back in captivity. You know, we got the big Al-Qaeda guy, you know, a uh, heat-seeking drone took him out in Afghanistan. I mean, that's, that's not the guys that were important to me. It's like, really? Does Al-Qaeda even exist? Oh, that's right. We're fighting. No, this was in the heyday of our battles with Osama bin Laden. And Ramzi Youssef was the mastermind of the first trade World Trade Center blast. He had gone off to the Philippines. He was planning on attacking various ports of call with airplanes loaded with bombs. Gee, I wonder where he got that idea from until... He blew him, almost blew himself up in an apartment in Manila, was running down the streets, and then uh, he was extradited to the United States. And you know what he said when he flew over the World Trade Center? First blast he was responsible for, 1992, with who? Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman. Remember the blind-eyed, uh, Santa Claus hat-wearing imam of hate? Death to Israel! Death to America! This is the only two, like, few words he knew in English. Ha! <laughs> So they asked Ramsey Yusuf, why'd you pick the World Trade Center out of all the places you could have bombed? A lot of Jews in there. <laughs> well, you could have gone to Borough Park. Well, no, no, that's spread out. They're all in one place, two towers. By the way, that's the other thing. Got to tell you about Frank. He gets into this stupid argument on Saturday. How to spell Borough Park. You know, he, he's such a wise enigma. He knows everything. He's so pretentious. He's so omnipotent. He's so stubborn. He's getting into an argument with a guy in Staten Island, his home borough, about how to spell Borough Park. I said, manajula. Well, he was eating his junior's cheesecake on National Cheesecake Day because you know, Frank, he loves fromage, cheese. Although I said to him, hey, I saw you're Italian. Italian cheesecake is not made the same way. As the American cheesecake. Remember your roots. He's too busy arguing. No, Borough Park. B-O-R-O-U-G-H Park. First of all, I don't even know the park in Borough Park. How did it even get that name, right? He's two yentas there, male yentas, arguing over the, while they're eating the Junior's cheesecake. And, you know, it's dripping down their mouths. Meantime, there's little Carmine there crying, you know, all 40 pounds of them. And his wife, Rachel, going, what did I do? 
What did I do? He's arguing with a stranger over how to spell Borough Park. And all I would have said to the stranger is, why the hell did they call it Borough Park? There's no park there. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. By the way, number two in the queue was, of course, Vladimir Putin. Now, our CIA criminals in actions have predicted that he would be dead and buried by now. As you know, they said, he's trembling. It's the same problem that Muhammad Ali, Janet Reno, and Yasser Arafat had. Yes, he's trembling. He's got blood cancer. He's got brain cancer. He's stuttering. He's coughing. He, he doesn't look strong. Meantime, he's alive every day, threatening death and destruction against the United States. So he did the Daily Double. It was Navy Day. By the way, you notice the Italians, they don't have Navy Day any longer. They used to have Navy Day. But you would not want to be a member of the Italian Navy because you go right down (laughs) to Davy Jones' locker. Anyway, so on Navy Day in St. Petersburg, this is where this uh, bad seed Putin uh, was birthed. He declared that they will dominate all seven seas. And I would have said, hey. Vlad, I know you hate America, but the Red Chinese, huh? Yeah, you think they're... No, nobody asks him. You don't ask him questions. And he said, from all, all seven seas, we will have the ability to deliver a nuclear payload on the United States. That's right. So Vladimir Putin admitted on Navy Day in St. Petersburg, not in Florida, a lot of Russians are there, but the St. Petersburg... In Russia, way up there near the Arctic Circle, where on certain days, it's never dark. I know. I've been there. Does it ever get dark here? No, it's light. 24 hours a day. By the way, a much more gorgeous city than Moscow. Yeah. But I digress. So here was Vladimir Putin saying, there are no winners in a nuclear war. Wow. This is a genius. Give him a Nobel Peace Prize. Vladimir Putin has come to the conclusion that there are no winners in a nuclear war. As he, the United Nations warns of risks of a misunderstanding or a miscalculation. A misunderstanding? You would fire off nuclear weapons over a misunderstanding? Or maybe you thought you were dissed and dismissed? I want to get the attention of Putin in his basement there in Delaware. I don't want to deal with Giggles Harris. I don't want to deal with Pudige, 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 who's on family leave 24-7-365. I want to deal with the man. You know how to get the attention? Joe Biden just let off a nuclear weapon. Hey, that may be what they're thinking. And side by side, like two peas in a pod, like a soup and a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. What did the Secretary General of the United Nations say earlier today? That humanity was just one misunderstanding, one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to prepare you for this. No, 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 no. We're not going to get experts on to discuss it. I don't want to hear their sound bites. I'm going to go one better. I'm going to say we're going back in time to when we were kids, baby boomers. Every day we prepared for this. Duck and cover, duck and cover. We had nightmares. We would hear a sound and we'd jump out of bed and duck and cover, duck and cover. We'd be in the subways. We'd duck and cover everywhere at any moment. The big one could have went away. We were prepared. And we walked around immediately. We didn't care what neighborhood it was. We looked 
for the sign with the S, which meant shelter. Nowadays, it means if you're homeless, uh, there may not be any room for you in the inn. You know, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they understood that. That's why they were out there in the manger, right? No room in the inn for you. But the S, whatever happened to all those S's? I'm obsessed. They had all those signs with the S. You always had to follow the S to the shelter. Because if you stayed outside, glass highway, incinerated like a piece of bacon. Oh, I know I've offended some of our Jewish listeners, but I know you cheat. You have your BLT in the afternoon. Ah, Hashem knows. I know. Oh, you're diving, right? But you have your BLT in the afternoon. Hashem will get you when we come back. The Curtis Lee Guide of Preparation for Nuclear Destruction, the Apocalypse, Armageddon, whatever those words mean, it sounds scary. We're going to scare the bejeebers out of you. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. so good. This is the end, my friend. Yeah, soon the end of Jim Morrison. He predicted his own demise, but he is alive. Telling you he's not in that cemetery in Paris. No, 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 no. Like Tupac Shakur, like Elvis. Machiavelli, they are alive. But they warned us this was so prophetic, this song. And if we don't get ready, we're going to get hit with a dirty bomb. That's right. That's the talk of the town on Coney Island Avenue in Brooklyn on your way to Brighton Beach. And actually, Coney Island itself. But somewhere in little Islamabad. That's right. Little Pakistan there. The word is out in Urdu. I only wish I had learned Urdu in junior high school so I'd know what the hell they were talking about. But they say that there is an Iranian plot... To bring in to this area of New York City suitcases with dirty bombs. So they won't even have to plop it on our hands. So whether it is a dirty bomb in a suitcase. And I know many of you conspiratorialists, you've heard this rumor, right? Because you're into all kinds of wackadoodle conspiracies. Q! QAnon is back! Oh, he's back after a year away. Where was he? So you're saying that. Ooh, Q! What does Q say about this? Q, is that Q for curious or Q for crazy? Oh, no, no, that's C. Oh, that's C for curious, too. Ah, whatever, whatever. I didn't do that well in school. But uh, listen to these words. And I want you, Eric Adams, the mayor, swagger man with no plan to understand that your recent PSAs about what to do when the big one hits... He's leaving us a dollar short and a day late. It's like you had an hors d'oeuvre and you're still hungry. That's what I'm still hungry. I know you're a Chinese food in a half hour later. You're still, can I say that any longer? Or will uh, John Liu, the state senator, you know, up there in northern Queens, call me, oh, anti-Asian. You know, they're after me. Yeah, no, no, they're not you, John Liu. The peeps, not you. Not elected officials that protected morning, noon, and night. But the peeps. So lower this, please. In honor of Jim Morrison and the doors. You never hear that on the Frank Morano show, right? I mean, come on. Let's, let's face it.
But this was a PSA made at great expense, great taxpayer expense. It was supposed to prepare us for the threat that Vladimir Putin made against the feeble, missing in action, wondering where he is, President Joe Biden, in his basement in Delaware, when he decided to back Zelensky and stop the T2 tanks from turning people in Ukraine into speed bumps. So Eric Adams, through the OEM, you know what OEM stands for? Operation Emergency, whatever the hell it is. <laughs> OEM, it sounds good, right? Like oatmeal. Oh, got to have my OEM. You know, like Maypo. How many of you grew up not eating Quaker Oats, not eating Wittina, not eating Farina? Wow, I hit the big three. But eating Maypo. If any of you know exactly what I'm talking about with Maypo, it used to stick to your ribs on a cold day. Before there was global warming and climate change, you had to have your Maypo in the morning. And you put your Wheatina on it, you know. You know what Wheatina was? Give you protein, your mother said. Well, that was the cod liver oil you woke me up with that has fouled my stomach all day. Don't cod liver oil is good for you. You won't get colds if you take a spoonful of cod liver oil in the morning. Then you had to have your maple with the Wittina on it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you know what the hell I'm talking about, you're going to win a courtesy of a booby prize. Don't ask. I won't tell you. But, oh, boy, will you be surprised when you receive it. COD in the mail. Cash on delivery. Sucker. I mean, uh, recipient, you pay for it. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Okay. Let's get to the announcement. This was done with a lot of preparation. Yeah, right. 90-second PSA in case we are under atomic weapon attack. It could be. Let's let's count the ways. It could be Vladimir Putin. It could be uh, President G. What's on first? I don't know who's on second. I'll slide, belly slide into third. It could be the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill behind the kimchi curtain of North Korea. It could be any one of these maniacs. Please, Maestro, play for us what it is we have to do according to Eric Adams. So there's been a nuclear attack. Don't ask me how or why. Just know that the big one has hit. Okay, so what do we do? No, no, I want to ask. I want to ask who, why, why is it over? She said, hey, don't worry about it. Oh, I'm going to leave it to government? I don't trust government. I don't trust Republicans, Democrats, because they lie to us. That's why I call our CIA criminals in action, because they are. Okay, so she has uh, alerted us that it's none of our BIB business why we're under attack. But this is what we got to do. Suggestion number one, because none of these make any sense. Step one, get inside fast. You, your friends, your family, get inside. And no, staying in the car is not an option. You need to get into a building and move away from the windows. How stupid is that? You're on the Belt Parkway in the middle of nowhere. You're on the Grand Central Parkway. There's no buildings around there. What do you do? Don't stay in the car. You go running out. Oh, my God, there's an office building. You go running in. You get to the door. Uh, You're not permitted in here unless you show your vaccine passport. No, the bomb was dropped in. No, sorry, we have our rules. And by the way, I want to see ID. I don't even have to show ID to vote. Hey, That's not my business. 
Don't tell me how to do my job. Okay, so strike one. That doesn't make any sense. Let's go with the second suggestion. Step two, stay inside. Shut all doors and windows. Have a basement? Head there. If you don't have one, get as far into the middle of the building as possible. If you were outside after the blast, get clean immediately. Remove and bag all outer clothing to keep radioactive dust or ash away from your body. Wait a second. I'm going to look like a crazy homeless guy walking down the street with all of my clothes in a hefty trash bag and I'm walking around naked? And then remember, when you get into that building, if you can find your vaccine passport, if you can find relevant ID, you have to dig yourself into the bowels of that building. Because if not, don't stay near the windows because of the drive-by shootings. You think they're going to stop doing drive-by shootings just because an atomic bomb has been dropped? Come on, look at the crime here in New York City. Oh, that's right. It's National Night Out. We're so safe, so secure. National Night Out. Turn the lights out so we don't get hit by the drive-by shooters. Let's see what uh, suggestion number three that will probably not work um, says. Step three. Stay tuned. Follow media for more information. Don't forget to sign up for Notify NYC for official alerts and updates. And don't go outside until officials say it's safe. Lady, uh, if I thought I had monkeypox, if I was a gay male or bisexual male, for the last two weeks I was going on the New York City Health Department website. It crashed three times. That's just for monkeypox. You can imagine an all-out nuclear attack. Everybody would be hitting that site. No, I'm going to give you much better information. What do you think that WABC exists for? Yes, your pleasure, your entertainment, your information. Uh, The fact that we are your family away from your family. Because for a lot of you, you'd rather not be with your family. I get it. You'd much rather listen to us. But in case of a national emergency, our Tower of Power in Lodi, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, become the one line of communication. Between all of us, oh, my God, and Joe Biden. (laughs) Do we have to have Joe Biden do this? Giggles, Harris, you'll be giggling, telling us 100,000 people have already died. Many more are imploding. (laughs) Maybe that guy Kirby, you know, the the guy guy they rented from the Pentagon, he's like out of central casting. Trump would have said, I want that guy. He's right out of central casting. He looks like he means business. Okay, we'll take Kirby. We're going to hear from him later. But um, everything gets tuned in to WABC. Every radio gets tuned in to WABC because we're the emergency service outlet for the entire Northeast. You can't get your information anywhere else. Over. Melted down. It's gone. We're still in business. Maybe not for long, but enough to warn you and scare the hell out of you. Okay, so everything that Eric Adams, um, OEM, suggested in just 90 seconds is just not workable. So let's go old school. When I was just a young little whippersnapper at the end of the 50s, the early 60s, we, we had to indulge in duck and cover every freaking day in our lives, including on Sunday. Yeah, 
church day, synagogue day on Saturday. It didn't matter. You were heathen. You, you hugged trees. You kissed Blarney stones, uh, frogs. didn't matter. We had to duck and cover. Duck and cover. Be sure and remember what Bert the Turtle just did, friends, because every one of us must remember to do the same thing. That's what this film is all about. Duck and cover. Paul and Patty know this. No matter where they go or what they do, they always try to remember what to do if the atom bomb explodes right then. It's a bomb. Duck and cover. Sundays, holidays, vacation time, we must be ready every day, all the time, to do the right thing if the atomic bomb explodes. Duck and cover. That's the first thing to do. Duck and cover. First, you duck. And then, you cover. You duck and cover tight. Duck and cover under the table. It's a bomb. Duck and cover. He did what we all must learn to do. You. And you. And you. And you. Duck and cover. All right, hipsters and millennials. What was the name of the turtle, huh? What was the name of the turtle? Ah, Hey, Ken, hey, Ken, yeah, 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 you were taking meticulous notes, right? You know, who was the name of the turtle there that became the uh, mascot for us to duck and cover? What was the name, Ken? Ken has no idea. He's a total moron like everybody. I, I, I got sabotage over here. Yeah, sabotage, right? Typical. It's Bert. Oh, Bert, that's right. Bert. And you see, if you moved like a turtle, that's it. You were incinerated. See, it was reverse osmosis. Now, let me bifurcate the information because I know a lot of you old-timers like me, you're like having flashbacks now, nightmares to duck and cover. That meant if you were on your bicycle and all of a sudden you heard that siren, you had to jump off your big chief Schwinn bicycle and duck and cover, even though you broke your leg, you broke your elbow, but you're going to be safe from nuclear incineration and annihilation. Pay attention to the turtle's advice. Then the first thing we would know about it would be the flash. And that means duck and cover fast wherever you are. There's no time to look around or wait. When there is a flash, duck and cover and do it fast. You have no choice. You see a flash before your eyes because you've dropped LSD or you've dropped a little molly or ecstasy. Hey, it might be the real deal. Don't take a chance. Duck and cover. But then the instructions got a little deeper and may actually conflict with what we tell our children and grandchildren today. So let me warn you what the instructions were in the 50s do not necessarily apply to this era of pedophiles. Go to the nearest safe cover. Know where you are to go or ask an older person to help you. You know the places marked with the S sign? There are safe places to go when you hear the alarm. If there is a warning, you will hear it before the bomb explodes. Now, hold on a second. There are two things there that we have to discuss. We have now spent a good part of our maturation teaching our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, you don't go up to strangers. You never know. If somebody says, come with me. There's an atomic explosion. No, I'm not going with you. I'd rather be incinerated out here in the street because you could be a perv. 
My mother told me never to go with strangers. You, you must, child, you must. We have to go with the big S's, the shelter. I'm not going with a stranger. I'm not defying my mother and father. See, we have to retrain all these kids with their masks on. That's right. You know, in pre-K, they're three years old. They're choking out, right? They have asthma when they don't have asthma. But we had a kid. Hey, hold on. Keep your, ma- keep your mask on. God forbid you get COVID-19. Who knows how monkeypox may be transmitted in the air. No, it's not. It's sex between homosexuals and bisexuals. We don't know. We've confused the kids enough. You know, we'll probably have drag queens come in to the pre-pre-K kids and explain to them what monkeypox is. Oh, this world. Maybe maybe it's time for all of us to go, you know. Drop the big one. I'm coming. You know, like Red Fox used to say, I'm coming. But where are those S's, ladies and gentlemen? What happened to all those bomb shelters that we spent millions building. What did, did they just become storage? Is that where all the illegal aliens now stay illegally in a basement when they illegally subdivide the basement and they look at the old bomb shelters? We could get four apartments out of that. And we could shake these guys down for like uh, $80 a week, four apartments. Let's see. Uh, that's like $320. In the meantime, they're. Inhaling the fumes from the furnace. But, oh, no, we, 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 we can't stop that from happening. Where would these people live? Maybe back in their country of origin? Wait, hold on. We'll discuss that later on in the show. I'm preceding myself right now. What happened to the shelters, the bomb shelters? They used to be everywhere. Look for the S, not for Superman. The S, it was a white metal plate that was up there that would tell you right next to the parking side. You know, parking. You cannot park between 2 and 3 in the afternoon, except on Wednesday and maybe on Thursday. But then again, and then you look at another sign of all these signs that conflict with one another. You're going to get clipped for a parking ticket. But where is that sign that tells us where the bomb shelter is? But there was a caveat to the turtles' warnings, just in case... But sometimes, and this is very, very important, sometimes the bomb might explode without any warning. That, we're gone. You see, at least he's being honest. You really think at the SAC Air Force Command outside of Omaha, Nebraska, and up there in North Dakota and South Dakota where all those missile silos are, you know, ready to spread death and destruction on anyone that sends their nuclear arsenal towards us. You really think they're awake 24-7-365 in the middle of North Dakota, South Dakota? They're in a silo, right? There's nothing to do there. You don't think they're napping? I mean, remember, right? Wasn't Jeffrey Epstein? Oh, that's right. He supposedly took his own life in the federal lockout, and the two guards were sleeping, right, supposedly at that time. They're not going to sleep in North Dakota or South Dakota or at SAC Air Force Command in Omaha, huh, with Dr. Strange Club. Remember that great movie, Dr. Strange Club? Dr. Strange Club was more frightening to me than Nikita Khrushchev was banging his shoe at the United Nations General Assembly, saying to all of us, in a vodka rage, we will bury you. 
Who would you have rather face off with? Nikita Khrushchev with his wife who had the babushka on her head? Or Dr. Strange Glove? Think about that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tommy in Brooklyn. Your turn to be here, heard here on the Frank Morano Show, Tommy. You see the Frank Morano Show. This is, this is my man Curtis's show. Damn right. Uh, listen, I know you had better days. You said something about um, Maple, right? And now, 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 hold on a second. Don't say anything yet. Let me phrase it. Okay, okay. If you had hot cereal in the morning, because there were some families, hell no, we only have cold cereal. Hot cereal had HO Oats, you know, the Quaker guy on the right, box. Yeah, yeah, then you had the Farina box, the black guy on the box, but they don't put the black guy on the box anymore because that's like Aunt Jemima, that's like Uncle Ben's, that's considered discriminatory. You had Farina, you had Wheatina. Remember Wheatina? Ew. And, I hate it with you. Yeah, that was rough. That that went down, boy. Let me tell you, that scraped <laughs> your esophagus. And then, of course, there was Maypole. Did he still make it? Wait, wait. I'm asking you, Tommy. I'm I, asking... haven't seen it, I haven't seen it in 30 years. My mom used to get it all the time. Why? It was, like, it was, it was maple oatmeal. It was like oatmeal, maple, like maple syrup oatmeal. It was great. Yes. What plot existed out there amongst the hot cereal? Fortune 500 companies to eliminate the one hot cereal that many of us kids actually look forward to eating. Did you look forward to eating with Tina? Yeah. Yeah. I did like, I did like Mabel, and, and then we wound up going with Quaker. I mean, and think, then, think of it, I, Tom. Think of it, Tommy. Here it was. We had just finished practicing duck and cover in the morning, and it was a fresh bowl of Maple. Now, imagine you just did duck and cover all morning long. You're schwitzing there, you know, because you were ducking under the table. And if you had a big family, like, you know, like eight kids, man, it was like no room to do duck and cover. So, yeah, yeah, you had to get going to school. I got to eat my maple. You licked the spoon. When you looked at that wee teeny, you say, you know, it's okay. Put it out for the birds. It's all right. The birds need nourishment. He looked at Tina. It's like, and then Farina, right? Farina, you said, well, is that only for white people? Why is it whiter than white? It's Mick Whitey White. And remember, it had a black guy on the box. You don't see that guy anymore. He's gone. What happened to him? None of your business. It was racist. Really? Looked like a nice guy. No, you don't understand the subliminal meanings. Of, of putting a black man on the cereal box, what it really meant. What did it really mean? It's none of your business. And Jemima, gone. Uncle Ben's, gone. I can't even say Eskimo pies. Oh, that's racist. What? An Eskimo? Isn't that what they want? No. They're indigenous people. First Nation people. Wait, First Nation was America, right? Not Canada. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong, kid. It's First Nation in Canada. We don't call them First Nation people. That's because the First Nation they were in was our nation. Yeah, Trudeau, go ahead. Do a pirouette. Practice some more ballet up there in Ottawa. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
think Frank Marano would play music like this? Blue Oyster Cult. Probably is a huh? Uh, Oysters Blue. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, some of the best bits on Saturday Night Live were done with crazy man Christopher Walken of Astoria. As he would come out and say, hey, hey, come on, we got to do it again. I want to hear more cowbell. More cowbell. And his psychotic eyes would be bulging out of his head. Oh, yeah, 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 you're the best. You're the best. kissing his tukas. You know that was Psycho Boy. You looked at him and you said, my God, I remember you from Deer Hunter. Uh, yeah, yeah. You were the most psycho of everybody in Deer Hunter. See, this is, you see how we conflated the music? We started with that lame REM. I always hated that. But it was almost like necessary to play to set the tone. You know, MTV generation, oh, REM, oh, they're so nebbishy, they're so schlubby. They are, they're picious. Then we upgraded it, right? We went right into the doors. This is the end, my friend, Jim Morrison. And now we finish off this discussion of nuclear destruction, annihilation, and incineration with Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, I feel so much better. I was really depressed there for a while. I thought the big one was coming. I I was seeing Red Fox and Sanford and Son. Weezy, Weezy, I'm coming, I'm coming. Oh, by the way, they couldn't even put Sanford and Son on network TV nowadays. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, let me hear that. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. So good. More cowbell. More cowbell. How many appearances did Christopher Walken have on Saturday Night Live? I think he had more appearances on Saturday Night Live than uh, Topo Gigio, the little Italian mouse, had on the Ed Sullivan Show. I mean, I used to wait for Topo Gigio religiously. We'd be crowded around that black and white 13-inch RCA TV Sunday night, said Sullivan. And I'd say to my mother, Francesca, is Topo Chicho going to be on? Is it on tonight? Well, you have to watch the whole show. The whole show? Yeah, yeah. But there's something else. And then it was Jackie Mason. Remember Jackie? Oh, Ed Sullivan loved Jackie Mason until Jackie Mason flipped him the bird on national TV. Then Jackie Mason was persona on grata. He couldn't play a lounge lizard date after that because Ed Sullivan said, you will pay for that, Jackie Mason. And he was sent into hibernation for years. And although he's no longer with us, he made his triumphant return to Broadway well after Ed Sullivan was dead and buried. And he dominated Broadway. You know, I miss the politically incorrect Jackie Mason. <laughs> I really do. I remember, hey, it was 1992, right? Rudy was running a second time against David Dinkins, and it was Jackie Mason warming up the crowd and saying, you really want to elect that that Schwarzer again? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> they grabbed him off the stage. Oh, my God. Rudy came to me. Curtis, you got to warm up the crowd from now on. <laughs> Jackie Mason has lost his mind. He thinks he's doing open mic. Now you know most of the rest of the story. I was there. I saw that. I heard that. I was like, what? Did he call David Dinkins our mayor? And he didn't understand why he couldn't warm up the crowd any longer. 
for my Kumbari Cheech Rudy. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. should be Frank Morano's theme song. Although, you know, he strikes me as if he were the son of a Pentecostal minister. You know, he would forbade people getting up and dancing. Like my Kumbada Cheech Rudy Giuliani did. Oh, yeah, I had beef with him when he was mayor. Greatest mayor we ever had. Just look at these new crime stats of Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. Hey, Eric, you're still at Club Zero Bond downtown. Yeah, time to get on your feet and get out there and make the rounds of the various precincts in New York City for National Night Out. Show support for the cops who are under attack, under siege. There's a new video out there which I will expose to everyone. Washington Heights, a crowd surrounds cops making an arrest. They'll make you cry as they attacked the cops, although the, the cops circled their wagons. They went back to back. They started throwing blows. And they were knocking those suckers out. And watch, you'll get in trouble for that. Why didn't you do crisis intervention? Why didn't you go up to, well, first of all, I didn't speak Spanish, you know. It's your responsibility to go after your tour of duty to learn the native language of the people who are terrorizing Washington Heights. Uh, I don't want to do that. Oh, really? Hmm. Oh, I loved it. They knocked these suckers out, man. Flattened them. 
And then they stared over them and said some words in Spanish I don't want to repeat because it might get them in trouble. But I was so proud of the NYPD as they circled around these mutts, these scouts. They were throwing garbage at these cops. The cops did not surrender, did not retreat. Remember the summer of 2020? Remember cops would stand there and these thugs and thugettes would pour water over their head? <laughs> I'm melting! God, that started it. I was probably, I'm going to get the names and the badge numbers of these cops. We're going to put them on a pedestal. They, they didn't have nightsticks. If they only had nightsticks, they could have given out wooden shampoos. These guys would have had coconut heads by the time they finished with them. I guarantee you after that, they wouldn't be messing around with 5-0 NYPD. They're out there. Some of you cops listening, I know you're not supposed to be listening on your tour. I get it. But you got that radio on with the chatter, the 911 chatter. 20,000 calls, you know, every hour. I was proud of those cops. Back to back. They didn't take no you-know-what. And when they came into the circle, they hit them and then dragged them into the circle. Old school style. That's what we do as guardian angels. You, 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 you call it invading the circumference. You come into the circumference, tough nuggies. You know, it's like a Venus flytrap. And then we just stomp you in the middle of that circle and then stay back to back. It was great. They were probably trained by an old school copper, no doubt. Some old Irish cop. You know, oh, that's what they used to do to me. Drag me in the middle. There. Hey, what did I do? Doesn't matter. Bam. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get focused here. I'm substituting all week for Frank Morano. He will learn a lesson, which is you never cede one minute, one hour of any radio time to Curtis Sliwa because I am like a Pac-Man. I come in. That's why I have an acronym attached to my forehead there where I used to catch a few wooden shampoos myself, always broadcasting Curtis. Well, he's away. Uh, and he will soon find out that there will be a severe price to pay. He's with his uh, lovely wife, Rachel, who, by the way, is quite the writer. I don't know if he's extensively explained to you how good a gumshoe reporter she's been over the years uh, and how she could have easily won some local journalist prizes if she didn't hook up with Frank because then right away they said, well, you're with Frank. You're not, you're not unbiased any longer. And why would you marry that guy? I mean, imagine, I mean, imagine. Here it is. You're like a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. You're wanted by so many publications. And actually, you can. You have a baby. Obviously, Carmine, the 40-pound baby, comes first. But then your colleagues say, what'd you marry that guy for? You know, it's like your journalistic credibility just went down the drain. Now, last week, I know Matt Blaze, board operator, what a fake Fugazi name. I know that you're on the lam. You probably have a... I mean, how many aliases? What kind of a name is Blaze? If you were a fugitive, that's the kind of name you'd want. You know, to everybody would say, Blaze, what kind of name is that? And then we have Ken here, who is the telephone talent coordinator. What a dumb name for a job that Frank Morano has hung over anybody that sits in that chair. And, of course, the brown nose... The producer, Alex, was at the beck and call of Frank. Right now, he is texting madly to Frank everything that is being said right now, ratting me out. 
But I know that Frank, before he went away with his lovely family, said he was going to be in Cape May. Am I right? I mean, you could acknowledge, right? He said, he's not in Cape May. He is not in Cape May. Haven't you followed the headlines? Uh, Well, first off, let's discuss how I have tracked Frank like a GPS, like um, his worst nightmare. So I'm on Staten Island Saturday, and it was National Cheesecake Day. So you knew wherever the Junior's cheesecake truck was going to be, Frank was going to be there snoring free cheesecake. Fromage. You know, I, I love fromage, but... I, I, I took issue with him. I say, I thought it's Italian cheesecake. They don't make it the same way as the American cheesecake. He says, if I can get any cheesecake for free, I'm going to eat it. And he did. My God. He had like four slices. And while he's eating the Junior's cheesecake, he gets into an argument with a guy about how you spell Borough Park in Brooklyn. And so the guy is spelling it the way we all spelled it, B-O-R-O-P-A-R-K. And actually, I said, why do they call it Borough Park? There's no park there. I should have minded my own business, right? Because it just got worse. So there's the Weisenheimer. He's omnipotent. He's obstinate. Frank Morano telling this guy, oh, no, it's B-O-R-O-U-G-H. And they start arguing while they're eating cheesecake. You know how messy that gets? When you're arguing that the, the spit is flying, the cheesecake is dripping down, it says mouth there. I mean, four pieces. That would have cost $20. It's $5 a slice. And I noticed with his alligator arms, he wasn't paying the vendor. Snoring, free cheesecake. So that's the last I saw Frank Morano. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that a lot of people will go on vacation and they'll either take the North Fork or the South Fork way out there in Long Island, Suffolk. And if you take the North Fork, it's Montauk. And last week they were having community meetings about banning dancing. Could you believe this Montauk with all those hot spots? People go there to drink and party and the restaurants and the ambiance. I mean, Bill O'Reilly, I mean, nationally known Bill, talks about it all the time, how beautiful Montauk is and how in the summer it like quadruples in terms of population. And a lot of hipsters and millennials and Generation X, Y, and Z, a lot of of young people who just want to be footloose and fancy free. Let me take you back, and this way I can connect the dots and tell you why I know. Frank is out in Montauk because they have ordered local restaurants and bars and gin mills and cafes and bistros to clamp down on dancing. You now have to get a license to allow people to dance. So let's say you're in a gin mill and there's a jukebox, if there is, and, you know, you you just came from that free concert, you know, on Sunday at Eisenhower Park. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. She broke my heart. I loved Joan Jett until I found out she didn't love me because she doesn't love guys. Okay, that's her choice. But you're going out there and all of a sudden, you know, the girl you're with, she says, hey, let's dance. You got some quarters in your pockets? And no, now it's like you Vimo. You know, you Vimo the machine, right? And if you get up to dance... In East Hampton, right, in Montauk, they might take you to jail. It's so draconian. And I said to myself, when I heard about this last week, I said, this sounds like an effort by the son of a preacher, a Pentecostal, 
an Assemblies of God congregant would do something like this. Like, remember the old Attorney General of Bush 43, John Ashcroft? Yeah, yeah, he came from Springfield. Oh, my God, when I was in Springfield, the Holy Rollers there, they do not believe in dancing. Not even if you put a snake around your neck and you're dancing with no shoes on some of those hillbillies out there. So let me remind you of the focus of Frank Marano, which basically one of his missions in life is to ban dancing. I really think if you're going to have a raucous affair and you're going to spend all this money on food and drinks and flowers and decorations and a photographer and a videographer, you want your guests to have a good time. And the bottom line is, I think there are more people like me than folks realize. And I think that people that have these parties, you should have a dancing section. And you should have a, I don't know, I'll call it a civilian section. A section for the non-dancers where you could do other things. Maybe it's board games, right? How much fun would that be? You go to a party and, uh, or, you know, your, your wife goes to hang out in the dancing section. And then you go to the section where they play cards, or do puzzles, or play trivia. How fun does that sound? What a fuddy-duddy. What are you going to do, play Parcheesi? See, he's already talking about bifurcating a restaurant or a bar or a nightclub so that, yeah, maybe the closet is where you can dance and everything else. You come out and you play uh, Monopoly, Parcheesi, board games. How boring is that? And then... uh, He's obsessed with the fact that his mother-in-law, who's from out that way, yeah, that's you see, that's the other reason I know he's in Montauk. Rachel's family is not in Cape May. It's out in Suffolk County. My stepmother is somebody, wonderful lady, but she's somebody that likes to pressure people into doing things that she thinks they'll have fun doing. So at both my brother's wedding and my, my cousin Sandy's wedding, she... Both times, multiple times, grabbed me and other people and brought us onto the dance floor. And then when I would try and sneak away at any of these parties and at the wedding, it was really fun because the uh, the recent New Jersey wedding, because they had some outdoor games like uh, cornhole and outdoor Jenga and actually other recreational activities. She would bring me back onto the dance floor. Cornhole. He's going to learn to hate his mother-in-law like so many guys do, so many gals do. You say, what do you think of your mother-in-law? I'd rather not say anything. You know, I was trained, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Men and women really hate their mother-in-laws many times. He sounds like he's got a nudge for a mother-in-law. But he also has this concept about dancing. And, you know, it makes sense. I know his father. I know his mother. Carmine works hard. Stephanie works hard. And I've seen them dance at social events. They're quite quite good, although they're no longer together. Still occasionally have a dance. Frank, he's got two left feet. That's why he doesn't want dancing, to be showed up. How many guys out there, right, you go to an event, the ladies all get up and dance. You would think they were all lesbians. They're with one another. You say, well, there's no guys up dancing. Maybe one, two, they're half in the bag. They're trying to dance. But their jiggle wiggle makes them look like Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie at a Springsteen concert, right? 
But here is this obsession of Frank. Obsession. It really, and he shares it. Why Mike Kumbada cheats Rudy Giuliani. In fact, Rudy was draconian. I'll explain that in a second. But listen to Frank. I guess I'm unclear in how this whole dancing being the recreational activity of choice at parties began. And I'm wondering what can be done about it. Now, I, as a, a party thrower on that one occasion, did something about it. I went and had alternative activities. In this case, the alternative activity was eating, drinking, and conversation, which I'll take any day of the week. Well, he is a party hog. He's a Spuds McKenzie. There's no doubt about it. Frank loves to go to parties, but he doesn't dance. So when East Hampton cracked down on dancing right there in Montauk, where I knew he'd be, Based on his ordinance, because you know him, once he begins lobbying, he talks politics, third parties, third parties, you know, uh, lobby, lobby. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, connect the dots. Rachel's family, Suffolk County, Montauk, they want to be near their brand new grandchild, 40-pound Carmine. Come on. I bet you even Carmine has more rhythm in him than his daddy, Frank. And then listen to this obsession again, his hate of dancing is just eating him up alive. Are there other, I'll call them, um, dancing non-enthusiasts out there? Can we band together? Is there a place that we can go to? You know how, like, swingers go to these secret sex clubs? Are there secret clubs that we can go to for non-dancers? Where did that come from? Plato's Retreat, swingers clubs. I hope he's not. No. He's not thinking of that in the back of his mind. It's too early in his marriage to be thinking about that. Swingers clubs? By the way, the only thing Frank Morano would end up swinging with at a swingers club is the chandelier. You know, Mike Humbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, I'm as close to him as anybody. There were very few battles I had with him when he was mayor, greatest mayor we ever had, took us from the crime capital, murder capital of America, and in eight years, the safest big city in America. Just look at his stats versus Adam's stats today. Oh, my God. The swagger man has no plan. Rudy, because he would get so obsessed with things like Frank, crime was plummeting. So naturally, he wanted the cops to do even more. Orders from headquarters. You know that Hogs and Heifers joint that's uh, in page six every night down in the meatpacking district where all of a sudden all the starlets, they get up on the bar and they start dancing and take their bra off and they hang it on the back of the bar. He goes, I want it shut down. What, what, what? Rudy, what are you talking about? I want it shut down. In fact, any cabaret, any bistro, any bar, any restaurant – if there's a jukebox in there or there's music being played, you can listen, but you don't get up and jiggle wiggle or you get arrested. Matt, where are you on the dancing issue? Now, again, I know where you are because it involves socializing and interacting with people and, you know, in a in a fun environment, which I know is not necessarily your thing. But um, but give me your take on dancing. I was a DJ. Right. For 20 some odd years. I'm aware of that. I love dancing. You do. I'm an excellent dancer. Wow. You know who else is, and this may surprise people, Curtis is an excellent he dancer. He does. He talks about it all the time Yeah, on the, on the, on the disco. Yeah. And he went to 2001 Odyssey in the <laughs> 70s. Disco Inferno. That's right. But I think, I mean, honestly, you sound like the guy in Footloose. 
He does. And so does Rudy. In fact, it harkens me back to that movie, The Holy Roller. Remember? Oh. Let this dance happen. Ren McCormick made a lot of people stop and think. I object to that kind of music, and I think you know why. Because people fornicate to it. I never said that. That's what you told the church board. That was not meant for your ears. Well, when did my ears get old enough, Daddy? When did you stop protecting me? I'm no saint, you know. It is my duty to look after the spiritual growth of you. I'm not even a virgin. Don't you talk like that in here. Why not? Isn't this where I'm supposed to confess my sins to my preacher? In church! Did you not... You know, when it comes to dancing, my kumbadi chich, Rudy Giuliani, and the Mameluke, Frank Morano, might as well be son of preachers, Pentecostals, Assemblies of God, congregants. They hate it. They loathe it. They despise it. Yet, Frank Morano gets married to Rachel, not in Long Island, where she's from. Oh, it had to be Staten Island. And it's this huge hall. I forget which mob family owned it. Probably the Gambinos or the Columbos. Those are the two he's closest to. And actually, he invites, although it took a month of Sundays for the invitation to come, me and my beautiful wife, Nancy. And I walk into this marriage ceremony, and it were like mosquitoes. It was outdoors. Mosquitoes were like eating us up. The skunks were there. You know, Staten Island has skunk issues. And it was a great ceremony, and people had a good time, and we all go into the catering hall. It's inside, and there's a band. And guess who's sitting opposite us? John Gotti Jr., the Gotti's angel who he used to be sweet on. A lot of you don't know, before he met Rachel, he was a real mama Luke. You thought for sure, typical Italian-American guy, he'll never get married because nobody could be as good as mommy like Stephanie. Stephanie would take care of him. But I think Stephanie had enough of her son, Frank, when all of a sudden she was away. Frank's walking the dog. He leaves the cigar back uh, on the sofa, and the whole freaking house burns down. And then I think Stephanie said, enough, son. I know you're a good son, and I'd love to have you. I loved starching your BVDs and ironing your socks, but enough is enough. I'm not making you fresh pasta bazool every day, no. Go out there and find somebody else to take care of you. So he found the lovely Rachel. And I'm sitting next to the same people who tried to kidnap me and kill me. I mean, they're tapes. They're Memorex tapes. There's four federal trials on this. It's like 20 Gambino guys in there. I fornicating me and they're mad dogging me. And then I get up in order not to have a ruckus because, you know me, doesn't matter, 20, 40, 50 or more, I'd step to them and say, oh, you got beef? I'll bust your teeth. And Nancy's calming me down. Come on, Curtis. And we're dancing. And do you know what that John Gotti Jr. said to Frank, the Mama Luke, a guy who seems to be more associated with the Gambinos than me? He gets up, he says, Frank, Hey, you think Curtis would object if I cut in on him and dance with Nancy? Sfachim, Skifosa. And and he's against dancing, huh? Footloose, absolutely. If you that was a great movie. If you watch Footloose, you will know what goes on in the mind of Frank Morano the Mama Luke, and Michael Marichich, Rudy Giuliani. They want to eliminate dancing. 
I am of the belief that dancing is good. If we go to the parliament building in Baghdad right now, you saw all those Baghdadis take over the parliament building like it was there January 6th. What were they doing with the Iraqi flag? Dancing, right? Allah Akbar! Allah Akbar! When the Sri Lankans, right? In Colombo, their capital. I know for a lot of you, it's Ceylon. You know, that's where you got all your tea from. That's Sri Lankan. When they took over the presidential mansion and the prime minister's mansion and they took over the parliament, January 6th, oh, CNN, love that takeover. And they were running around with their flag of Sri Lanka, right? They were dancing, right? Dance is good. When people stop dancing, trouble. Let me remind you of that famous scene at the end of World War II in Berlin. If you remember, the Soviets were on one side. General Patton was on the other side. The American troops were drinking vodka, and with the Soviet troops, they were dancing. Remember, arm in arm. And Patton went up to them and said, you don't dance because they're our enemies. If they would have continued to dance... I'm telling you that Vladimir Putin would not now be threatening us with nuclear annihilation. We'd be knocking back vodka, getting down there like they did in a great movie that brought the Cossacks together with the Jews. The Cossacks who always wanted to kill the Jews every given opportunity. A pogrom, a pogrom. What movie am I talking about, ladies and gentlemen, for Curtis Lee Booby Prize? Our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. One regret. Oh, I've had many regrets in my life. I was in Glasgow, in Scotland, on their subway. Believe it or not, it's a little, uh, it's a little good and plenty, plenty good kind of a subway. But a guy came up to me and said, "Curtis, while you're here, you got to go to Loch Ness." I said, "Where is it?" Is it near uh, Edinburgh? No, it's 20 miles away. I didn't go! I'm going to talk about the monster up next. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Glasgow, 15 years ago, down on the little subway that they have in that city. And they were having their annual game, Rangers versus Celtics in soccer, which is Protestants versus Catholics. And this Catholic professor was telling me why the uh, Protestants call the Catholics their Timmies. I said, Timmies? Yeah, because they have freckles. I still couldn't understand. But he was a professor at Edinburgh University, very prestigious. He wanted to know why I was there. We were having a nice conversation. He said, why are you here? You know, 20, 25 miles away. It's Loch Ness. You're kidding. Everything I grew up with, you know, the Loch Ness Monster. And I got so caught up with dealing with the soccer uh, louts and thugs and trying to start a Guardian Angel chapter there. 
that I never really made the trip. And it's one of my regrets. I mean, I was so close, but so far. And then all of a sudden this week, my wife Nancy, she says, wow, the Loch Ness Monster existence plausible after an incredible discovery. I said, again? She goes, no, 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 no. She, I, she said, I've been fascinated in this. This could be the real deal. So I said, hey, I'm substituting for Frank Morano. I got to find an expert. I don't know uh, who that professor was from Edinburgh University who referred me to go to Loch Ness. Unfortunately, I didn't go. But Dr. Nicholas Longrich is with us, senior lecturer in evolutionary biology, the Department of Biology and Biochemistry at the University of Bath. Wow, that's a mouthful, Doc. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) I don't want to go through the rest of your titles here. I'll lose my breath, but... Give me an idea of out of the many things you've done in your life, and you originally from uh, Kodiak, Alaska, how you ended up being involved in researching the Loch Ness Monster and breathing life into its possible existence in the past. Uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go quite that far, but I, I just kind of, I go out there, I try and find fossils, I look at what's out there and try and just be opportunistic go out there and look at fossils and see what emerges and we found surprisingly in in morocco we found evidence of plesiosaurs which uh kind of become sort of one proposal is the Loch Ness monster was a plesiosaur we found evidence of these things living in freshwater rivers in north africa now that's that's morocco so for me growing up i'm listening to cross right but i'm listening far away I'm listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young's Marrakesh Express, and I'm thinking Morocco, yeah. you know, the sook, hash, drugs. I'm not thinking the Loch Ness Monster unless uh, maybe... That, that's not why I was there. No, no, not none of that. But, uh, uh, but uh, no, it's just, there, there's, uh, it's incredibly rich in fossils, and there's a deposit out there about 100 million years ago, ago uh, where it's it's rich in dinosaurs and fish and various freshwater vertebrates. And, you know, we kind of out there just looking at some fossils, stumbled across fossils of plesiosaurs, and we found these things lived in freshwater. And uh, just to be clear, though, like, so I I suggested that one aspect of the theory that there's a plesiosaur Loch Ness was plausible, that there is, could plesiosaurs move, there are marine reptiles, could they actually exist in freshwater? And that part's plausible, but the other parts of Loch Ness monster scenario, the idea that there's a plesiosaur in Loch Ness or some other animal, it's it's not super plausible. So uh, I hate to disappoint, but there's probably not a Loch Ness monster there. There's probably not a plesiosaur in Loch Ness. Well, you you didn't break my heart. I think you broke my wife's heart, Nancy. But I have my my deep apologies. I look. I, I would vastly prefer if there was a monster in the Loch Ness. It would be it'd be a far more interesting world if there were lake monsters. Now I'm fa- uh, I'm fascinated, Doc, that as a young boy running through the wilds yeah. of Alaska. I mean, one of the most yeah. gorgeous places in the world. You were collect oh, yeah. you yeah. were collecting fossils because you wanted to. We had to do it. In fourth grade, because it was considered like a class project, yeah. we'd be cracking these rocks, hoping that they'd be fossils. Most of us were just bringing in yeah, granite yeah. rocks. What was your fascination yeah. with that? I, you know, I, I think I think part of it is that, like you know, 
growing up in a small isolated island in Alaska, I was fascinated with places that were very far away. And the, the past was one of those places, you know, it was about as, you know, so I was kind of interested in, I mean, it's a lovely place. I'm here up now visiting and it's just, it's really beautiful, but it's also like you kind of being a small island, you kind of want to get out and uh, see the rest of the world. And, you know, and uh, you know, it's kind of harder to get farther away than the past in terms of finding new places. Well, you know, when I was in Canada, I was in uh, Ontario yeah. and Guelph and London and Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. And they say, well, you got to go up to the North Country. You know, you got to go up to the Yukon. Yeah, yeah. And I know people yeah. there are obsessed with the continued uh, talk about Sasquatch, you know, in the forest there. Yeah. That never fascinated you. You know, I, I mean, I grew up on all this stuff, too. I, there was like a, there's a TV series I really loved growing up. It's called Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World, and science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke would like, you know, evaluate the evidence for various fantastic creatures like giant squids and sasquatches and, you know, the Loch Ness Monster and all these things. It was, I thought it was great because it was like both this, you know, mysterious, fantastic stuff, but kind of a fairly sober scientific look at it. So, yeah, I loved all that stuff as a kid. Uh, and, you know, it feels like there's less of that this, these days. Like, I think it's just like there's less mystery in the world. And I think part of it is like, you know, we've got everyone has a cell phone right now, right? Like everyone's carrying around a high resolution camera and video recorder in their pocket. And the possibility that something like the Loch Ness Monster or Sasquatch could exist out there and we haven't found it is less and less. So, I mean, in a way, like, I mean, technology is great and all, but I think, like, the world's a lot less mysterious than it was when we were growing up. Right. Well, you grew up in an area where you were fascinated because of the environment, and no doubt your family had an influence on that, or they might have just shut down that interest. Likewise, my father was a merchant seaman for 54 years, so for eight months of the year, he'd be sailing both in fresh water and in salt water, and then for four months, he'd be at home. And I would always say to him, locally here, we have the Hudson River, fresh water, yeah. empties yeah. into the Atlantic. I said, Dad, your you, you oil tanker sometimes makes the run up to Albany. When does the salt water begin and the fresh water begin? And with us having less and less fresh water, what is the danger of the salt water now beginning to emerge in these places? Did that ever come across your mindset? Oh, man, I guess, like, I mean, growing up around salt water and fresh water and, you know, it's like it's they're, they're kind of two different worlds. Like, you know, there's like so that was kind of the interesting thing here is we have animals that live in salt water. They can't move into fresh water easily and vice versa. There's a handful of species like salmon that go back and forth quite readily. So well, know, to, for, get, for uh, me, to, I, to give you an example, Doc, we have now yeah. whales that are in the Hudson River. We we didn't have it for years, you know, because of the pollution. Yeah, okay. Seals, yeah. and they're in the Atlantic Ocean, and then they end up going up the Hudson River where there's fresh water. And I was always asking my dad, how can that be? And he yeah. was explaining, yeah, you do have mammals who are able to engage in both. I said, I thought they would probably die. He said, no. No, no, if it's clean. It's, I, I think I think if they're up there too long, it can stress them out. Like whales that spend a long period of time in fresh water, they often get sick. And so they can be up there briefly. And, I mean, it's an interesting problem. I mean, it's like if you think of like, you know, you, know, you take your average fish, like take a saltwater fish, like a, a clownfish or lionfish, and throw it in fresh water, it'll die. And 
Likewise, take a goldfish, throw it in salt water, and it'll die. And so it's kind of hard to tolerate both. And these marine mammals can kind of briefly tolerate fresh water. Uh, but then there's a few species that can are adapted to where they can tolerate it for longer periods. And a few species have become like fully adapted to fresh water. And so, so basically what we found is that like we've got these plesiosaurs up in fresh water, although they're generally thought to be a marine reptile lineage. And, you know, like some of these marine, some of these marine mammals, they may have been either freshwater tolerant or fully adapted to freshwater, uh, like modern river dolphins. Uh, but it's, I mean, they're very different habitats and going back and forth is tricky and animals have to kind of adapt to the two. Well, based on your studies, Dr. Nicholas uh, Longridge, do you believe yeah. going back centuries that there was more fresh water back then than there is now? Because we have tremendous drought in parts of the world. The deserts oh, continue yeah. to grow. Uh, I mean, I'm looking yeah. at Lake Mead, Lake Mead right outside of Vegas there. They depend on all their water there. You look at it from way up, yeah. you know, on a, from a, 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 a satellite, and it's like almost depleted, and you see other rivers are being depleted. Uh, when I went to Israel, you know, one of the things I was looking yeah, for, yeah. the River Jordan, right? You know, Jesus yeah, yeah. being baptized uh, by John, John the Baptist. And I look at this little trickle, and I say to myself, what happened to the river? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Are the freshwater ecosystems smaller than they used to be? And, yeah, I don't really know the answer to that. How does that, though, affect life that is dependent on that? You know, the, the kind of life that you grew up with, where you are now in Alaska, it's taken for granted. But in the rest of the world, it's being depleted rapidly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big issue. I mean, it's a, it's a major habitat, freshwater ecosystems. If they, if there's less freshwater, yeah, there's less to, you know, less less life can exist there. So uh, potentially an issue, I guess. Uh, now, question. My son, uh, my oldest son, went off to camp for a week, first time he's ever been to camp in the great outdoors. Yeah. There's a study uh, that came out this week that says some six-year-olds are being given high blood pressure medicine because they're sitting on the couch, as you mentioned, they're on the cell phone, they're just watching videos, they're not moving, they're not in the great outdoors. Just give us an idea of what it was like for you growing up in that part, that rural part of Alaska that kids had an opportunity to go out there and enjoy Mother Nature, which more and more is happening less and less. Oh, man, it was, I mean, it was a great place to grow up. I mean, I got into high school, I get frustrated because I'm in a small town, 10,000 people on an island in the middle of Pacific Ocean. It's a bit isolating. But, like, I mean, being a kid, you know, we just ran around. Like, we'd go down and fish off the boats. We'd go hiking. We'd go run around in the hills or the woods or whatever. I think it's just good for kids to grow up that way. And, uh, you know, more recently, I, I got a chance to go to Africa, to Tanzania. And I hung out with these hunter-gatherers, the Hadza people. I got to see how their kids grow up. And they just, like, they hand the kids, a, you know, some bows and, the, and arrows, and the kids, like, run off into the bush, and they spend all day chasing birds. And there's, it's a dangerous place out there. There's, like, hyenas and venomous snakes and things like that. But the kids just have a blast. And, you know, I think we're, we're meant to grow up outside. Yeah, well, and, as, you, like, as you know, we're sheltering our children and our grandchildren. It's almost like... With helicopter parents, uh, they almost can't yeah, go out yeah. and explore. Yeah, I, I think, like, I, I really, I've, I've thought about this a lot in terms of, like, you know, whether it was me growing up or watching these kids in Africa grow up or 
you know, uh, just, you know, being a, a teacher at a university. And I think like kids need independence and that's not neglect. That's not being a bad parent. That's just like, I mean, within reason, I mean, obviously don't just like, you know, throw them to the wolves, but like giving them a bit of space to run around and play and, and figure things out for themselves. That's how they grow up. That's how they learn to take responsibility. And, and I think that's, I, I that looked like that's how for hundreds of thousands of years, that's how the human species grew up is we let kids run off and play and, and with each other and take care of themselves. And, that's how they learn to take responsibility and become independent. And they learn to be grown ups by, by taking responsibility for themselves. So I, I totally think that that's a, you know, I, I think that, you know, yeah, I, I think kids kind of do need more time just left to left to themselves, their own devices to run around, to get bored, to play and, and just be outside. And I think nature is really an important part of growing up too. Well, you know, I've had this discussion with my wife, Nancy. Uh, you know, she yeah. rescues animals. Uh, uh, yeah. One time we had the discussion because her nickname is Lone Wolf One. She loves wolves. Yeah. And she heard about yeah. your former governor who's now running for Congress there in Alaska uh, would <laughs> go up in helicopters and call the herd of wolves. And she like she didn't want to even hear the name. And I said, yeah, but in those kind of places – Seems to me like fathers and daughters and uh, mothers and sons would oftentimes, at least what I've seen when I've traveled, is they'll go out and they'll hunt together and they'll camp and they'll they'll roam in areas. What's your opinion on all of that kind of bonding with the Ooh, mother nature? Hunting, hunting. I mean, that, that's a complicated thing. And like, I, I I was never a big hunter. I was taking on some hunts. I did some deer hunting. I you know I shot a few rabbits, things like that, and you know, growing up hunting, but I, I think like, again, like it, it's kind of like, I mean, these days people are very down on hunting. I'm like, Oh, these poor animals. I, I kind of get that. And I'm, and, you know, as someone who's been hunting, it's not, it's not in, there's a thrill to the hunt and chasing the animal, but there's no thrill in killing the animal. It's a really sad kind of serious, somber event. But I, I again, like, you know, as I spent more time, like, you know, learning about human evolution and human origins, like our species is a hunter. That's how we originated. And, you know, it's kind of part of who we are is we evolved in Africa to hunt, hunt large game. And that's part of our heritage. Well, you know, uh, I noticed that you've uh, indulged in being a commercial fisherman, like so many people up in Alaska whether they uh, yeah. moved to Alaska, they were born there, or they're indigenous people. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, now that our vice president, uh, Nancy Pelosi, is going to Taiwan and there's all kinds of talk. When I've been to Asia, yeah. especially to Japan, yeah. uh, the biggest yeah. battles are over fishing rights between the Asian countries, almost to the point where they'll go to war because of the commis- uh, commercial fishing vessels that sort of poach yeah. in each other's uh, area. How? What danger are we in that with all this commercial fishing? I'm not talking about the guy or the gal or the family that goes out yeah, and yeah, throws yeah. the line in, but these massive uh, uh, hauls that you see, big, almost ocean liner style ships that I've seen off the coast of Japan yeah. that just harvest the fish, and then all of a sudden whole areas are devoid of fish with these trawlers. Well, I mean, this is... <sighs> 
I mean, this is an ancient problem. It's like as humans, we're, we're hunters and we're gatherers, and we develop better and better technology, and we get to the point where we can harvest things faster than nature can replenish. And this is the original sustainability crisis. So, yeah, we have the technology now. That the fish are the same stupid fish, but we have bigger boats. They're faster boats. They can fish in rougher, rougher weather. They have better navigation software. They have better you know, fishing technology, nets, things like that. They get better and better and better. And we can kill those fish faster and faster than they can replenish themselves, and we risk over-harvesting things. And, I mean, this goes back thousands of years because what happened was, as hunters and gatherers, we developed better technology. We went from spears to bows to, you know, spear throwers and poison arrows and, and better hunting techniques. And over time, we slowly started being able to over-harvest the big game. And that's what caused these megafaunal extinctions. And, you know, overfishing is kind of a, you know, sort of a, a latter-day extension of these megafaunal extinctions that started around 12,000 years ago. And it's because of these megafaunal extinctions, because we came, became far more clever than the game we were hunting. We got better at hunting them, and they remained the same, you know, they couldn't really adapt to it, that we wiped out the mammoths. And that's why we have civilization, actually. Uh, we would probably still be hunting and gathering, except we wiped out all the mammoths, so we had to go invent farming. So the, the sustainability crises we see today in fishing are actually like a it's an ancient, you know, issue we face as a species. As we get too clever for our own good, we overharvest our resources, and then it's like, well, crap, what do we do now? And and we invented farming and civilization. Now, question: uh, When it comes to fishing, since you've done commercial fishing, yeah, yeah, you know, we've seen like the National Geographic specials or the uh, reality shows where they're commercial fishermen and fisherwomen. And then we see they bring in the whole miles and miles of net that actually has something in it. And they bring it on board and they seem to yeah. separate it, what they're looking for, as opposed to what they don't want. And they push what they don't want back into the sea. Uh, those species still living at the point that they bring them on board and put them on the deck? Oh, man. I, I think, like, you know, sometimes you can throw stuff back in the sea and it survives, and sometimes it doesn't. And bycatch is a major issue. It's, I mean, it's a big issue within the fishing community. Like, there's some fisheries produce relatively little bycatch and some more, and there's a tension between those two because, you know, some fisheries are, are killing fish that potentially other people could catch. So, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on the issue. I mean, I mean, my some of my... You know, I, I, I stopped fishing a couple of years ago, but my brother still does it. And he could probably, you know, comment more uh, in a more educated way than I uh, I could. I mean, I'm, I'm educated. I have a PhD, but I'm not, you know, I, I can't really comment on, on those issues. I'm not as educated in fishing. Well, let me ask you one final question about something we yeah. grew up with, the importance of fossils with all yeah. the, with all the digs with all the construction, especially in third world countries, not so much first world countries, we have the wherewithal and the resource to stop a construction site so that people like yeah. yourself can go in there and mine history for us and yeah, yeah. you know sensitive locations that we were oblivious to. What do you say to the third world country where all of a sudden a major project is going to be stopped because people like yourself want to do an archaeological dig because the, the information in the soil is so valuable for all of us. Oh man. Um, I mean, it's a complex issue. Like how do we, 
how do we preserve the past? And it's uh, it's something we're still trying to like grapple with how to how to preserve the most fossils, the most artifacts as possible, and the most information possible. But kind of for and I, I think it's just like fifty or hundred years ago, very few people thought this stuff was important. And I think increasingly people are becoming conscious of its value. Uh, to understand where we came from. And there is hopefully more and more of a push to preserve this stuff. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Nicholas Longridge, uh, for sharing with us uh, uh, your background, uh, your growing up in Alaska and traveling the world and uh, uh, earning uh, degrees in higher education so that you can pursue something that a lot of people can only dream about. And you've actually uh, dedicated your life to this. Yeah, sure. No problem. Do appreciate that. Thank you. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I want to thank David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young for customizing this other side of midnight song for me for the other side of midnight that I do on the weekends. It was because I took the back of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and Joni Mitchell and their battles with Musclehead Joe Rogan and Spotify. Hey, all of you. Oh, Joe Rogan. By the way, you won't even talk to Trump. Oh, I don't want to talk to Trump because I might help him. Hey, schmuck. You haven't picked a winner yet, right? What was it? Bernie, the Altacaca, Sanders, Michelle Obama, the Libertarian. I don't want to help Trump. It's like, I am so proud that I took the back of Graham Nash, of Stephen Stills, of Neil Young, and Dave Crosby, and of course, Joni Mitchell. They defied Spotify. They defied Joe Rogan. And all of you, you call for the, oh, Joe Rogan. He won't even interview Trump. Won't even interview, and and he says, because I don't want to help him. Whoever thought that anybody in talk radio gets people elected, if that were the case, right, would we have had Barack Obama for two terms? Rush Limbaugh, oh, evil, evil, evil. None of them. We're promoting Barack Obama. Yet he was elected president not once, but twice. Anyway, let's go to Bobby in Washington. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Excuse me. Uh, Hello, uh, Curtis. Uh, Great show. And uh, Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, Sasquatch. Um, We just didn't do do a good job looking for Yeah, well, Steve, you got to really improve. Step up your game, Buchanan. Go Buchanan. Go Buchanan. What what is it with this guy? He used to be so good. You know, my radar is good, but he used to sometimes be able to get through. You know, he does these voice imitations. He tries so hard, but he's now, it's, it's becoming so obvious. You know, he's trying to sound like a huckleberry out there from nowhere America. It just doesn't cut it. Hey, Steve, you need more practice. Remember, this pro style here, this is not J.V. Frank Morano here. Come on. Go Buchanan, go Buchanan. The guy lives, he'll stay up. Like he drinks 52 Red Bulls to stay up. He's got multiple phones, you know, trying to call in. He certainly suckered candy 
telephone talent coordinator or whatever that fake position is on the Frank Morano show. But you can't get by me. You know, this is Curtis Sliwa. It seems uh, I've almost been doing this as long as Tesla invented the radio. Oh, the Serbian? You mean not the Italian, Marconi? No. A lot of people say it was the Serbian, Tesla, who invented this thing of ours. Yeah, this thing of ours that is going to bring us into red China up next. And yes, Nancy Pelosi. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Uh, back to being Curtis Sliwa. Lower that a little bit here, Matt Blaze, because I know there's a cabal here involving board operator Matt Blaze, definitely a fugitive from law with many aliases. Nobody has a name, Matt Blaze. Then there's uh, Ken, the telephone talent coordinator in that fake position created by Frank Morano. And, of course, the brown-nosed producer, Alex. So the instructions from Frank while he's away is you got to interview guests. you got to, you know, Loch Ness Monster, you know, Little Gray Aliens. I talk about illegal aliens, which I'm going to do in the next hour. What, what the hell is it? Oh, you got it. So they, this Jennifer Grodd, right, is like, oh, yeah, she gets great guests. I said, really? He said, I don't do guests. Oh, great guests. So she must think I'm a schmuck, I'm a putz, and maybe both together. We get this guy who, big build-up, new information about Loch Ness Monster, and he goes, sorry, there's no Loch Ness Monster. It's like, really? I knew I was in trouble when I'm talking to Marrakesh Express, the Sook in Morocco, you know, how Americans, North Americans, Europeans would go there to have hash, smoke uh, dope, and the guy just didn't get it. Oh, uh, that's not why I went there. You're from freaking Alaska where they smoke bones. Oh, no, I'm drug free. Get out of here. What what did this Jennifer Grodd do? Tell her not to do me any favors, please. She broke my rhythm, broke my style. I had people waiting to the break of dawn, and now they've all gone to sleep on me like, oh, a discussion about fossils. Oh, that is so stimulating. You know, that would have even cut it on NPR. God, I was falling asleep. Oh, uh, I never really thought of that. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Okay, and this is the sabotage of Frank Morano. I told you, ladies and gentlemen, this is systemic in talk radio. You try to impair your substitute when you go into parts unknown. Nobody wants anybody 
who's as good as you, if not better than you, because they're neurotic. You know, they're like, oh, low self-esteem. So they set me up with this booker, Jennifer Grodd, who knows nothing about nothing. She said, oh, I got this guest about the Loch Ness Monster, right? Oh, look, he's a professor. Big. Uh, You know what I was going to say. Ph.D. graduate. Notice he said, yeah, I got all these Ph.D.s. Yeah, stare at him on the wall, pal. Oh, I have I, no idea what's going on. How boring. God, it put me to sleep. I was ready to start snoring. I said to myself, this is an act of sabotage to destroy the rhythm, the flow. Because my reputation is you start listening to me, you don't go to sleep. You can't go to sleep. You're canatonic the rest of the day. That guy, man, that was like Sominex. Man, that was like Ambient, right? Want to pop a few Ambient? Listen to that guy. God. And I see. This is all part of the cabal, right? No more guests the rest of the way. You can forget about it. I don't ever interview guests. It's not my style. It's not Curtis Lee. Hey, you want someone to interview guests? Go rent a talk show host or hostess of no consequence that'll make the primary host look good. Oh, yeah. Couldn't wait for you to get back, Frank. You know, that guy, I don't know where you found him, but, oh, I couldn't wait for my Frank Morano face. And see, then the talk show host or hostess, they feel good. Like, they feel nourished. They feel like, yeah. See, my audience loves me. Guess what? I hate you. God. Man. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> oh, there's no, no Loch Ness monster. Outrageous. And you're, you're a so-called extra. You're promoting, oh, new information about <laughs> Loch Ness monster. He should impale himself with a fossil. He should swallow fossils. He's fossilized. That's his problem. Like some of the Frank Morano listeners, you know, they're like fossils there in the easy board uh, chairs. And, you know, they're half stung guy. They're like parallel to, hey, well, now we're going to do Curtis Lee style show. But enough of that. They want guests. Hey, t- hey t- I'll go ride the subways and fight crime with the Guardian Angels, right? We got a crime crisis here. Did you see the latest stats for Eric Adams, the law and order mayor? The swagger man who has no plan. Still at Club Zero Bond. Yep, the little birdies told me. Still raising the roof there. 40% increase in crime. What happened? It's worse than it was with Bill de Blasio. And now we're going to talk Red China versus Formosa, a.k.a. Taiwan. That's, that's why we have this music. You see, would anybody else have music like this? Of course not. They wouldn't know where to look for it. And all of you were like, oh, Nancy Pelosi's going to go to Taiwan. It could start World War III. Please, we've been down this road so many times. You really think the Red Chinese are at all intimidated by Nancy Pelosi? Right now, she's like so in fright having an X-lax attack. Boy, did I date myself, an X-lax attack. How many people even know what X-lax is out there? You really think that President Xi, what's on first? I don't know who's on second. I just belly flopped into third. He said, oh, Nancy Pelosi landing in Taipei in, in Taiwan. I, that's, a, that's an act of war. 
First off, uh, let's listen to the spokesperson, Kirby. Rearrange, uh, rearrange your cuts there. Don't sabotage this uh, blaze or there'll be a hell of a price to pay. There's a long way down outside this window. That's why they have bulletproof windows here so that people don't shoot me like some of Frank's friends would like to do. And I don't take any of the personnel here and throw them out the window. After a guest like that, hey, go fishing for salmon up in Alaska. Watch them, right? So anyway, let's go, if we can, to the spokesperson for the White House talking about the dangers incumbent upon Nancy Pelosi and how only she alone made this decision. Yes, yeah, sure, you bull feather thrower. I want to reaffirm that the speaker has not confirmed any travel plans, and it is for the speaker to do so and her staff. So we won't be commenting or speculating about um, the, the stops on her trip. We have been clear from the very beginning that she will make her own decisions and that Congress is an independent branch of government. Our Constitution embeds the separation of powers. This is well known to the PRC, given our more than four decades of diplomatic relations. The Speaker has the right to visit Taiwan, and the Speaker of the House has visited Taiwan before, without incident, as have many members of Congress, including this year. The world has seen the United States government be very clear that nothing has changed, nothing has changed about our One China policy, which is, of course, guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint U.S.-PRC communiques, and the six assurances. We have said, we have repeatedly said, that we oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo from either side. We have said that we do not support Taiwan independence. Stop this. Stop it. What are you guys killing me here? What is this? Alex's cut? Do I need to hear this guy mumble his way? Oh, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Yeah, yeah, CCP, right? Communist Chinese Party, CCP. Uh, Enough for the CCP. Man, it's an act of sabotage. Why don't you just put the depth charges in the toilet when they go to sit on the porcelain palace and just, boom, implode me? God, could a guy be any more boring than that? Enough of that. I'm going my way, okay? It's the Curtis Sliwa way. You don't like it? Go to sleep. Turn to another station. Become an FM vegshead. Freaking morons. Feeble-minded. Fornicating madly. Free marijuana. And, of course, Frank Morano. I can see I was set up for this, right? A guest? A Loch Ness Monster? Well, I'm an expert, but there are no Loch Ness Monsters. And now this guy Kirby, right? Originally he was with the Pentagon. I, I say to Alex, what, what do you got this, this Nordwell, this guy who like just reads a teleprompter? Oh, very important update about Nancy Pelosi's visit to uh, AKA Taiwan. Do you really think that I give a damn about Nancy Pelosi? If Red China wants to go to war over Nancy Pelosi, we should just wave the white flags. My God, there's only one thing he said that is true. Nothing has changed. Now we're going to do what Curtis Lee does best. We're getting into the time machine. The time, 1958. The same set of circumstances. The same threats of war against us. The same threats from the communists, red Chinese, that they would annihilate Formosa, a.k.a. 
Taiwan. Listen closely. Formosa, 100 miles from the Red Chinese mainland, the U.S. bound by treaty to its defense. In the Formosa Strait, Chinese communist aggression centering around Kamoi poses the question of how far the U.S. will go trying to defend the offshore islands. The 125,000 population of the Kamois is witness to weeks of heavy artillery bombardment by red shore guns. Nationalist batteries have been returning the fire, even as they did twice before in 49 and 54 in the face of red attack. It is at sea that the nationalists excel over the reds with more than three score warships. Reported sunk in an attack on a convoy to Kamoi are 11 communist torpedo boats. In Newport, Rhode Island, directly to the doorstep of the Summer White House, comes this latest crisis in the Far East. Summoned to emergency conference, Secretary of State Dulles to meet with President Eisenhower. Earlier, Mr. Dulles had conferred with the Joint Chiefs of Staff and then talked with the President three times by phone. The Dulles-Eisenhower meeting is followed by a statement in which Red China is solemnly warned by the President that he will not hesitate to commit American armed forces to the defense of the nationalist offshore islands if he finds that necessary to the security of Formosa. Not alarming, but rather giving Beiping a chance to back off is the U.S. stand. Meanwhile, the U.S. 7th Fleet has been steaming to within striking range to prevent invasion of Formosa from the mainland and vice versa. It is stressed the Chinese nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek can handle any present threat to their territory. Help would come only if the defenses proved inadequate. I mean, that sounds like what's happening now, right? That was 1958. This is 2022. The only difference is we didn't have a person of no consequence named Nancy Pelosi involved in this project. We can't tell you where she is. We can't give you her itinerary. The whole world might come to an end because of Nancy Pelosi. Really? You expect us to believe this propaganda? Come on. You heard 1958, then President Eisenhower taking time off from golf, because that's what he did every day, was shoot 18 holes of golf. Richard Nixon was really running the country, the vice president. He would meet with the foreign leaders, like Nikita Khrushchev. They had the kitchen cabinet sessions, not with Eisenhower, with Richard Nixon. Just like eventually, unexpectedly, in 1972, the Richard Nixon for Mao Zedong was Cho Enlai. Yes, Cho Enlai, who technically was the vice president of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and the chairman Mao Zedong. All of a sudden, we were told... That the most virulent anti-communist of all, Richard Nixon, who saw communists under every bed, behind every post, in every nook, cranny, corner of the country. Suddenly, Richard Nixon would fly to Peking, not Beijing, Peking, and would make detente with Mao Zedong, murderer of millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of his adversaries. President Nixon's visit to our country at the invitation of the Chinese government provides the leaders of the two countries 
with an opportunity of meeting in person to seek the normalization of relations between the two countries and also to exchange views on questions of concern to the two sides. This is a positive move in conformity with the desire of the Chinese and American peoples and an event unprecedented in the history of the relations between China and the United States. They better have applauded or be off to the cultural revolution, off with your head. Notice, oh, we're going to destroy one another. It'll be the end. Oh, hey, let's toast one another, right, with some sake, rice wine. Oh, nobody thought that Richard Nixon would go behind the rice rice cake curtain of red China and meet with Mao Zedong. He only met with him like five seconds, you know, at the beginning of the trip. The rest of the way, it was the Richard Nixon of red China for six days. It was Cho Enlai. Cho Enlai was everywhere with Richard Nixon. Pat Nixon, who was uh, his wife. What were the places that they went to, ladies and gentlemen, as part of this tour to break through on the other side? Oh, and they were having such a good time. And when I was watching this on TV, I would say, wait a second, we were supposed to be destroying these people. These people wanted to destroy us. Now all of a sudden they're toasting one another. What happened to Shanghai Shek? The nationalist leader on Formosa. By the way, you know how long the name Formosa lasted? Six months. Six months. I had to carry around a baseball glove, you know, a pancake mitt, because I didn't have a Spalding or a Rawlings, you know, autograph mitt, you know, from some baseball. We called it pancake mitts, right? A mitts with no significance. You, you kept it under your wing. You didn't want anybody to see it because they'd say, what's the matter? You don't have a Spalding or a Rawlings mitt? What's that? Where's it from? Where's this place, Formosa? It lasted all of six months. That's it. And then it was stamped on everything coming out. All cheap products would come out of Formosa, a.k.a. Taiwan. And then your firecrackers obviously came from Macau, the Portuguese colony that eventually got ceded to the Red Chinese. Now they run all the gambling casinos, and they control Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn, uh, you love America? No, I love Red Chinese. Steve, you... You have sight problems, right? No, I can see red, that's for sure. And I can see green here in Macau. Lots of green. <sighs> Cho and Lai, first premier of the People's Republic of China. Number two guy to Chairman Mao Zedong, but a lot of people don't realize that before that, before the meeting of East versus West, was the Cultural Revolution of 1966 in which you were either pro-Mao or you were dead. And Cho Enlai, he was always the peacemaker. He was like Sammy the Bull Gravano, the underboss of the Gotti crime family, to Gotti Sr., who was a psychotic killer. That's what Mao Zedong was, a psychotic killer. And Cho Enlai would say, Mao, this guy's a good earner. You know, he goes over there to Japan, and he goes to Thailand, and he... He helps, you know, launder our money because nobody wants to take him. I don't care. I want him dead. It's almost like too bad we don't have Memorex tapes of their conversations while they were drinking sake, rice wine. Mao wanted to kill everybody. Cho and Lai was like his liquid Prozac. Boss, please. We got to have some people around. Who's going to go into the rice patties? Oh, you're right. I never thought of that. Oh, God. 
So what happened in 1966 was the Cultural Revolution. Mao was obsessed in thinking people were going to try to take his role as a totalitarian dictator. And so he launched an all-out effort to close the schools, close the universities. He had the young people destroying the buildings, the temples, the art. Anybody who disagreed with him was a revisionist. Teachers, school administrators, party leaders, parents. You don't talk to your parents. I'm your father. I'm Chairman Mel. Oh, yes, you are. Father, my real father. I'm going to rat you out. I'm going to narc you out. Son, I was only permitted one child, child in Red China. And then they gave me a vasectomy, but they took off more than just you understand. They neutered me. I'm a eunuch for you. Doesn't matter, Dad. My loyalty is to Father Mao. You know how many of these kids turned in their parents? You know, I know of some kids out there have given the opportunity to turn in their parents now. Knock out your parents. That was the symbol in Chinese people. I look at the signs, the big posters, you know. Knock out your parents today. Your only real parent is Chairman Mao. And to show you how crazy Chairman Mao was, I mean, this guy was insane like Gotti Sr. He had four wives. He was trying to compete with me, right? Each one mysteriously disappeared at a certain point, was no longer relative. So his fourth wife had been an actress. And she, oh, she was promoting Mao and the Cultural Revolution. She was in all the ads because they figured you had to... Give a little estrogen to all that testosterone. She was out there. Kill the teachers. Kill the scholars. Kill them. And she formed the gang of four. And then all of a sudden, Mao is dead. Who knows by what means in 1976. And the gang of four turned on her. And all of a sudden, she was labeled a counter-revolutionary. She was given life in jail, and then she was told, you see these shoelaces? Do us all a favor. When we turn on back, do a Jeffrey Epstein to yourself. And she did. She hung herself. She couldn't have been any more of a zealot. And then, like any cultural revolution, they turn on it. They eat their own babies. And who survived? Show and lie. Now, there were a few times he was on the verge of getting... You want to know what they did to Cho and Lai? He had an adopted daughter. Mao said, prove your loyalty to me. Turn her over. But Mao, we've been together. You remember the long march. We survived against Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists and the interference from the Soviets and Joe Stalin. I don't care. You got to prove your loyalty I want your adopted daughter. She's going to be tortured in prison and raped by the Maoist Red Guards. So what did Cho and Lai do? He said to his adopted daughter, eh, you're not really my seed. <laughs> you understand this is all business. This is the business that I have chosen. The CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. And so she's gone. Raped. Killed, mutilated, tortured. But Mao said, that was good. This is like text from the Old Testament. This is what they used to do in the Old Testament, you know, to test your loyalty to God. To God, the Father, Hashem of the Old Testament. 
Then Mao said, not good enough, Cho and Lang. I want your adopted son. Why? You took my adopted. It's not your seed. It's not your blood. And by the way, you and your wife, right? She should have only had one child. It's not permitted two children. So I want your adopted son. So Cho and Lai drove his adopted son, turned him over to Mao Zedong. They put him in the gulag. They tortured him and murdered him. Afterwards, Mao, with that rice wine, said, you're a good man. You're a good man, Cho and Lai. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. This, these are the maniacs we were dealing with. Oh, but all of a sudden they're toasting in 1972. And remember, how soon was Richard Nixon no longer president? Huh? Watergate was already underway. Nobody was paying attention. And then all of a sudden, he was on the top of the world. He couldn't get better than that. People were saying, I have a renewed belief that Richard Nixon can bring peace to the world. That was 1972, right? And then all of a sudden, it was August 9th in 1974, and Marine One, the helicopter, was taking him out to San Clemente because America's got to know their president is not a crook. Well, he was, as he faced impeachment and removal and then got the pardon by Gerald Ford. You see, that's how Curtis Lewa tells the story. God, you know, I still have a foul taste in my mouth from that guest they booked about the expert on the Loch Ness Monster. But guess what? There is no Loch Ness Monster. If it's the last thing I do, Matt Blaze, Ken, and Brown Nose Alex, and whoever this Jennifer Grodd is, the booker. Frank Moran comes, oh, she's she's the greatest booker ever. Uh, I'm going to tell Jennifer who to book for you. No, you won't. Not the rest of the way, or you could get somebody else here. <sighs> anyway, let's go to Michael, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard, Michael. Hey, Curtis. You are the best. Um, love you. Um, big fan. And, uh, yeah, that guy from uh, the Loch Ness Monster guy was a total waste of time. You agree, right, Michael? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a typical, like, Frank uh, Morano maneuver to get, like, one of those guys, you know? And uh, it's so pleasant to hear your voice at this time of night because I'm working and uh, I do listen to the radio. And uh, hearing Frank, like, do these interviews with, like, aliens, Bigfoot, all this other crap, to hear you talk some common sense is such a pleasure. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for not falling asleep on the job and getting fired as a result of that. <laughs> Imagine this. After 35 years in talk radio, Michael, this is maybe the most embarrassing moment I've ever had in talk radio. They book me an expert on the Loch Ness Monster. They give me... 58 pages to read. I got a double hernia. The guy's got PhDs up the wazoo. Two minutes into the interview, he goes, well, you know, there really is not a Loch Ness Monster. What? Yeah. I mean, come on, man. He he was wasting everybody's time, this guy. Yeah, but you see, I was set up. I truly believe this was a cabal. Yes. No, no, no. You know, Frank's away, but the mice will play. 
And his staff here, you could see they were laughing before I even went into the interview. They knew what it was. They knew what it was. And it's Jennifer Grodd. She, they claim, oh, she's the best booker in the business. Mike. Uh, I think you got set up big time. Yep. And the rest of the way, Mike, I'm doing it my way. <laughs> I'm doing it my yeah, well, way. Well, yeah. I mean, and, uh, it's Michael, like, I've been yeah, doing like, this for 35 years. I've been the ratings champion wherever I've gone. I've done every freaking shift imaginable, including religion <laughs> on the line. Better than Rabbi Joe Potasnik. And they set me I up. I don't know how you uh, do it. I mean, I know how hard it is to work nights. But you're you're like you're like uh, the Energizer Bunny. I mean, like how do you, how do you do it, Michael? Especially- this is this is like uh, Lahayim. This is life to me. This is life. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, Michael, Michael Katsimatidis, who is a great friend uh, of mine and so many others in the talk radio business, a, just listens morning, noon, and night. She, she said to me, you, you had a separated shoulder. You could barely walk. Well, you've come to life. I said, this is Lahayim. This is life. When that, when that light goes on, that microphone goes on, I become a different person, Michael, a completely different person. I get it. Uh, yeah, I, I heard you talking about that earlier. Like as soon as like, it's the high from just like being able to communicate with all the, the people in New York and wherever, you know, and, and you're, you, you're, you're getting your word out. That's, I guess that's what Michael, it's, it's kind of, let me about. tell you for those who are observant of Hashem, high. High, 18. 18 times 2 is 36. 36 times 2 is 72. High. It's the lucky number, 18. Frank Morano, I will not bear the number 13. It is the mark of the beast and the death of my radio career. The rest of the way, I'm going to do it my way. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Morano. That's right, let's get back on track. I got to revive and resurrect all of you who are saying, what is no lockneck monster? You would never, never hear this on the Frank Morano show. In fact, I would uh, go down little Korea Alley there in the shadow of the Empire State Building on 33rd Street where you can get some hot kimchi and get a rub and a tug right upstairs from the kimchi cuties. Oh, yeah, I know you guys cheating on your wives saying, oh, I'm just going for a massage. You know, tightness, tight, yeah, tightness. I know where that tightness is. 
And it ain't in your shoulders. It's below your navel. God, they stand it. They stand it. They're in the windows. Hi, sailor, sailor. No, I'm not a sailor. I have a red beret on. Doesn't matter. You got money. No, no. After child support, I have Ugats. I have Bupkis. They wave. They wave. Brush your teeth. That kimchi breath. Oh, my God. It's a kicker. The garlic. By the way, uh, we will be going to the phone calls. But before we do so, let me give you the rogues gallery of people that accompanied Richard and Pat Nixon uh, on that six-day trip. In fact, they uh, ended up uh, spending their time in Peking, not Beijing, Hangzhou, and then Shanghai. Which, believe it or not, Shanghai was the international epicenter of activity. For years, for a lot of the Europeans, going way back to when, uh, you know who was in Sand Pebbles, right? Who was that great actor who was in Sand Pebbles when we were forcing opium on the Chinese? FDR, that's right, the Roosevelt family, that's where they made all their money. They were dope dealers, opium. You will take the opium. You will smoke it in the opium dens. You will become addicted to it. And the Brits did it, and the Germans, and the Russians, and we went to war against the Chinese. Yeah, I saw Sand Pebbles. Great movie. And they made it appear in Sand Pebbles as if we were right for doing this. During the Boxer Rebellion, they made the Chinese out to be, oh, barbarians. You know, they're running around there with their their long ponytails. My God. Uh, Got the wrong history from the Sand Pebbles, I tell you that. I know it's 1-800-848-9222. Who's ready to win a Curtis Lee Booby Prize? Don't ask, don't tell. Because I throw nickels around like manhole covers. And recently, let me inform all of you. I received a letter from the Department of Health of the city of New York. No, they were not informing me that I had monkeypox or any other sexually transmitted disease. That's never happened in my life. A lot of people say, come on, Curtis. You, you, 2001 Odyssey, you were out there in the disco era there. Churning, whirling. In fact, there was a report at one time. If your name is Blaze, Mad Blaze, I would tell the young ladies as we would do the grind on the dance floor, you better go for a pregnancy test in the morning, even though we were fully clothed, fully clothed. So you knew I wasn't going to get monkeypox. No way. But then again, what does the Department of Health in Chelsea tell you? Just have sex with clothes on. We pay people to tell others this nonsense. And we wonder why monkeypox is spreading amongst homosexuals and bisexuals. We're telling them if they're going to have sex, just have sex with clothes on. But anyway, who is in the Great Wall visiting with uh, Richard Nixon and his wife, Pat, and with Secretary of State William Rogers? Yeah. There was H.R. Uh, Haldeman, who would soon be going to jail, along with J. John Ehrlichman. It was Dwight Chapin. I actually saw Dwight Chapin recently here. He was doing a podcast with Greg Kelly, who was taping it on the weekends. Well, incredible. And yes, there was Pat Buchanan. Steve from Manhattan is what? I missed, I missed being with Pat Buchanan at the Great Wall in 1972. And the infamous Rosemary Woods. 
Because remember, she deleted the 18 minutes of tapes that doomed Richard Nixon in Watergate. Wow, can you imagine at the height of your international prominence, you're considered a world peacemaker, you, you made peace with Mao Zedong and Chou Enlai, and then a year later, you're like on a one-way trip to Palookaville, San Clemente on Marine One saying, America's got to know their president isn't a crook. Well, you were. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It is uh, hmm. John in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard, John. Curtis, I caught the last five minutes of that interview, and uh, I thought uh, Professor uh, Longridge was very, very good. You did a fine job. And now, I agree with him. I'm, a, I'm actually a paleontologist by training, too, myself. And, uh, you know, there's no Loch Ness monsters to speak of. So I, I don't know how this mix-up came up. John, let me, let me explain. Uh, you're a learned man. You're obviously you're knowledgeable in that field. I am not. Uh, as a paleontologist, it's hard for me to even uh, pronounce a multisyllabic name, but uh, I got through it. I was forced to do that interview. Uh, I was told uh, by Frank Morano, you know, that this this booker, Jennifer Grodd, best in the business, uh, you know, and, and she, she gave me 58 pages of research on this guy. And 10 minutes into the interview, he says, well, you know, there really isn't a Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> You know, um, this is now close to 20 years, but I met you at the Williamsburg Centennial Celebration, mm. and uh, we had we had a wonderful chat there, and you had asked me where I went to high school. And when I told you when where I went to, you told me it must be a brainiac. I'll give you a hint. It's a high school in Manhattan that starts with the letter S. Stuyvesant. Yes. Of course. And you went to the yes. old Stuyvesant on 15th Street. Right. As opposed to the new Stuyvesant, which is like, oh, down there by the World Trade Center. Yep. You know something, John? I'll bet you that we had a very detailed discussion about fossils, right? No, we didn't. I didn't even tell you I had a background in family policy. <laughs> what? <laughs> we didn't discuss fossils? No. <laughs> you know, some of our listeners are fossils, you know, but... Well, <laughs> that's the last thing I'd be talking about. A fo- you know, I hated it in fourth grade when Sarah Wilson, the teacher, you got to go out and find fossils. Where the hell am I going to find fossils? She says, you go out, you bring rocks in, we'll crack them open, and you might be lucky enough, Curtis, with your fellow students that we find fossils. We brought in a quarry worth of granite. We didn't find one freaking fossil, John. Wrong type of rocks, uh, because those are igneous rocks. You'd have to find sedimentary rocks. And I have a dirty little secret to tell people, but it's now a state park. You go to the southern end of Staten Island, if you go to the Clay Pond, uh, Clay, uh, Pitts Pond Par- Clay, uh, Clay Pitts Pond Park there, that's where they found fossilized leaves in clay that date from the age of dinosaurs. You know so. something, John? I'm going to tell Frank my revenge on him. Is, why don't you take little Carmine, all 40 pounds of them, over to that park that was referred to us by the paleontologist, John, 
graduate of Stuyvesant University, who met me in the Berg years ago. No, we did not discuss fossils. Because I would never have discussed fossils. Never. And why don't you and Carmine knock yourself out looking for fossils there? Oh, I will have revenge. Let's go to uh, original Rick in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard, Rick. Come on, Star. How you doing, Curtis? Not good. Uh, Not good. I know that. I know. That's why I asked you. Anyway, listen, a quick comment about that interview you really didn't have. Um, that's, like setting you, that's like saying you're going to interview a doctor, and you get all these medical questions, and then you find out it's like a Jill Biden doctor. You know? I mean, what kind of a... I was listening to you, and I was going, this can't be Curtis, because Curtis doesn't do this. Curtis doesn't interview people. And then I realized, oh, my God, what did they do to this guy? Shoot him up with something? Anyways. You see, original Rick, this was to set me up for failure. Oh, I I know. I mean, let's face it. It was a setup for failure. Frank was involved in this. This Jennifer Grodd, you know, oh, my God, you know, it's like, she could have her own booking agency. She's so good. She has connections all over the world. 58 pages of research about how this guy has dedicated his life to finding the Loch Ness Monster. Ten minutes into it, there is no Loch Ness Monster. And nowhere to go. And then I'm having a I'm having a nice you you want to make yourself useful here uh, Blaze I don't believe in it fine Marrakesh Express Crosby Stills National Play please play. yes excellent song for anyone who's ever chewed hash or smoked dope you have to have ridden the Marrakesh Express in Morocco you said yeah I know you got a king here but that's not why I came here to go to the Sook and you looked at all other hippies that were coming from Europe. North America, Canada, the United States. And you say, why are you here? I'm here for the Marrakesh Express. No, you're not. You're here for the hash. You're here to get stoned, right? And everybody said, yeah, the Marrakesh Express. It's almost as good as Catman do in Nepal. Except then you have to go through Turkey. And when you go through Turkey, if they catch you with hash or any kind of drug, you might end up... Midnight Express, right? Oh, yeah, oh. losing your tongue. Losing your tongue. Exactly. I don't know. You know, after 35 years, this will be what I'm remembered for. The interview with the expert <laughs> on the Loch Ness Monster who then said there was never a Loch Ness Monster. Before you no hang up, I, got one, I have one more question for you, Curtis. Of course, uh, of course. You're living, in, you're living in New York. Yes. Now, I just heard on the news... The guy, oh, it's 20% or so inflation for producers of, like, you know, delis and, and restaurants. 20% if your costs have gone up. And then in the same thing, the interviewing this guy going, yeah, my, my breakfast sandwich went from 250 to 450 And I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your costs go up 20%, and your sandwich goes up 80%. How, how, is that, how does that math work out? I mean, are we not getting ripped off royally on this? Original, Rick, there's no doubt that uh, there are always exploiters. Uh, There are those who are profiteers whenever we fall into hard times. But I am suggesting a remedy to you, Original, Rick, and everyone else. You got to rely on dollar stores now to buy dinner and lunch and breakfast. You get the bulk items, and you will see how much better life will be. Now, your health will deteriorate noticeably because this canned food— you know, high sugar, salt, everything that's bad for you. 
but at least you'll save on the price. Dollar stores are the remedy. Quick death, but at least you'll spend you'll save money in the interim during this Putin slash Biden inflation. You, you think that's a good message, original Rick? I've been doing that for years. Uh, I'm, I'm retired. So, yeah, I hit the dollar store first. When I can't get there, then I hit on the, on the supermarket. Time I wait to the supermarket. I hit one, and then I hit the next. It's, you know, you buy the stuff you can buy cheap, but they don't have. You have to pay the price. But Original you know, Rick, I, uh, yeah. I realized that we were in trouble the other day when I went for a 99-cent slice of pizza. That was at dollar thirty-eight. And I said to the guy behind the counter, who damn well was an illegal alien, couldn't speak a word of English. I said, why did the 99-cent slice of pizza, this is what you're known for, a dollar pizza, why is it a dollar thirty-eight? And he said, I'm not going to offend Papa Chulo. I could read his mind because he couldn't. It's Putin. It's Putin's responsibility. And that's how I knew he was an illegal alien. Oh, in the 4 o'clock hour, we're not talking about little gray aliens, you know, UFO. No, no, no. We're talking illegal aliens. That's the threat against America. Original Rick spends his time in dollar stores. How many of you, ladies and gentlemen, said originally, I would never find myself in a dollar store, and now you find yourself parking yourself and wheeling out all those groceries that you know are going to kill you. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. One of the greatest disco songs of all time, A Gift to America by Patrick Juve. Imagine a patriotic dance song. They don't, they didn't create patriotic dance songs. I know. But it's such a great song. Like the French donated Lafayette, we are here to our American Revolutionary War effort. And New York City, by the way, sided with the Brits. I mean... New York City was a backstabber to the colonies. And then in the Civil War, are you aware, ladies and gentlemen, that after South Carolina seceded to lead the way for the other southern states at the Battle of Fort Sumter, the very next attempt at secession was New York City. Why don't they teach that in our schools, huh? That we were traitors, traitors. They hated Lincoln. They hated Lincoln. Because they said, well, we love the South. We love slavery. We're mercantile uh, men and women. We make our money by selling apparel and shipping apparel and taxing it. We love gray. We hate blue. By the way, uh, you know, I will have revenge on uh, Frank Morano upon his return from Montauk. Yeah, he's there. Uh, he's not in Cape May. You've seen the lockdown against dancing at all the gin joints and restaurants and nightclubs out there. You know that's Frank Morano. And, you know, that's also where Rachel and her family are from. So, you know, you try to bamboozle you. But I'm going to take him to WOHOP 1 and WOHOP 2 on the very same day. And then I'm going to do what I do always when I go to WOHOP in Chinatown. 
I want a bowl of chop suey. And they look at me because they're they have absolutely no personality. What the hell is chop suey? As a guy, when I was growing up as a kid, there was no such thing as Chinese food. Every shop had chop suey on it. Just ask the Jews. Because every Sunday they would colonize the chop suey joints that you couldn't find any room in a chop suey joint. Oh, uh. Where you going, Irving? Oh, we're going for chop suey tonight. Yeah, and the fortune cookies. What the hell is chop suey? These are Chinese guys. I didn't ask them for their papers, by the way. Because I can tell you, they're probably illegal. Not to know what chop suey is? Well, what kind of an American are you if you don't know what chop suey is? I will take Frank to Wohop 1 and Wohop 2, and I will embarrass him because that was his favorite place. He would go there with John Gotti Jr. when he was on trial. For what? Trying to kill me! And with Angel, his sweetheart, the older, the oldest daughter of Gotti Sr. and uh, Victoria Sr. They were like snacking on one another back then. This is before he met Rachel. That was before. Anyway, let's go to Mike, who's calling from Hudson. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. See, there, there, there are dime uh, shapeshifters dozens. I, I, I could draw, seriously, I could draw crop circles around that, that person. Why, what are your credentials here, Mike? Uh, he was a paleontologist. Well, I'm a PHCTZ. Okay, that's our cryptozoologist. Oh, you got him by a few. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey, Mike. Yeah, no, I, I do, I do. As a matter of fact, you, you don't have to go to, uh, right now. Nessie, if she could hear this program, she'd be laughing her head off, and and her flippers would be hitting the, the old Ness, uh, Loch Ness. Uh, it would be a riot over there, like never, never seen before. But you know, you don't have to go over there to see a lake monster. You, we got one right up here in upstate New York, uh, known as Champ. Sure we do. Sure we do, Mike. These are Frank Morano listeners. The guy could barely pronounce what he claimed to be. And now he wants to come on here and eat up the real estate. And Oh, up here in a psychiatric institute outside of Albany. That's probably where he is right now. And they've given him an opportunity to call in. Unbelievable. I'm telling you, if I'm forced to do any more of these lame interviews, you can get somebody else. I'm going to do it my way. Rich in Long Island, your turn to be heard, Rich. Rich, it's it's my pleasure to speak to you. Um, I just had to tell you this story. I'm a big fan of you. I'm originally from Ronkonkoma, New York. Uh, I went to St. John's University. I'm a pharmacist. I became my all my stripes in, in the city, but I just moved down to Charlotte. Long story short, I'm lying in a hospital bed in Charlotte, and they're drawing blood gases on me. I'm sure you know what that's like, getting needles in your veins like that. And that Loch Ness Master story put me to sleep. <laughs> Even then, they're putting the needles in me. And I'm listening to you. I woke, you up, woke back up when you were talking about after Jennifer Grodd and everything like that. And 
you just had me laugh out loud funny. I can't fall back to sleep, and I have no needles in me. I just oh, thought I'd convey that to you. Rich, Rich, I appreciate that. But see, I'm back on track. You, I'm going to take you to the break of dawn. I'm going to take you oh, to the yeah, break of dawn. Nobody goes to sleep Listen. on me. Nobody, Rich. That will never, I promise you, Rich, that will never happen again. Cross my heart and hope to die. The most, the most embarrassing moment in my history, 35 years in the radio. I will fix Frank Morano and Jennifer Grodd and you, Matt Blaze, and you, Ken, and Brown Nose Alex, if it's the last thing I do on this plane. Till death do you part. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Strange morning set up for failure by the Frank Morano crew and uh, a booker named Jennifer Grodd, who's supposed to be so good she could have her own agency. Uh, you know my mantra, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who've listened to me morning, noon, and night, it's always broadcasting, Curtis. I don't uh, interview guests. And they say, oh, Frank said, you have to interview guests. You know, it's my format. I'm going to be away. I said, but I don't do that. No, you have to stick to the format. So they come up with one freaking guest. One. Who's a professor up in Kodiak, Alaska, right? Waiting for the salmon to spawn. Sitting out on a rock. And uh, the whole reason for talking to him was he was supposed to be an expert on the Loch Ness Monster, and he has said, yes, I have discovered relevant data, fossils, that indicate it might well have been a Loch Ness Monster. And I give him the big build-up, how the one thing uh, I didn't do, I had a chance to do, was visit Loch Ness uh, in Scotland when I was in nearby Glasgow, uh, trying to keep the Timmies, the Catholics, from killing the Rangers. Uh, no, not the uh, New York Rangers, the Protestants. And uh, had the chance to go to see for myself, but I couldn't break away. It's only 25 minutes away from Glasgow. So I give the guy the biggest buildup you ever heard before in your life. I mean, I was like stroking the guy. And 10 minutes into the interview, after he said nothing for 10 minutes... He said, I hate to bust your bubble, but there has never been a Loch Ness Monster, nor will there ever be a Loch Ness Monster. The most embarrassing moment in 35 years of broadcasting in all different forms. I mean, I've done syndicated shows. I've done local shows. I've done evening shows. I've substituted for the best. I've substituted for the worst. And obviously, I've had my own format. To either succeed or fail. And luckily, I have succeeded more times than I have failed. But never has there been a more embarrassing moment for me. Now maybe you understand why I don't interview guests. They come with a preconceived agenda. They'll only talk about what they want to talk about. 
And I mean, imagine 58 pages printed out. How many trees did we kill printing out this information about a person of no consequence who then ends up can't even deliver the punchline? Well, you know, there is a possibility of the Loch Ness Monster. In Morocco, he's saying, does he not understand geography? Morocco is nowhere near Scotland. There's probably not a Loch Ness Monster there. There's probably not a pleasing sort of Loch And I'm telling him, the Marrakesh Express, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, a whole generation of hippies who traveled there, you know, to the sook to get their hash and their dope. And he goes, oh, I'm not one of them. Well, maybe, pal, you should start chewing some hash. There's probably not a lockdown sponsor there. There's probably not a pleasing sort of lockdown. He's talking about Morocco. Does he not realize how far Morocco is from Scotland? Oh, my God. And then Jennifer Grodd. Oh, yeah, she's the best, Frank Morocco. That in the business of booking guests, there never has been anybody better than Jennifer Grodd. I said, really? You know, even though I, I don't do guests, I've known a lot of bookers. No. I mean, five-star top shelf. And she's calling me and telling her, that you're very lucky to have this guy, she says. <laughs> you know, his time is very limited. He's such a valuable person that you're, you're just so lucky to have this guest. Ah, uh, yeah, really. God. And then they say, oh, well, if you're going to substitute for Frank Morano, why don't you talk about aliens, little gray aliens? No. I talk about illegal aliens. All along the border, they're massing. Along the border with Mexico, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. And who's standing down there? A cardboard cutout of our president. Papa Chulo to the illegals. Andale, andale. Come one, come all into America. And then, of course, what did she have? Like one trip to the border? Giggles Harris. <laughs> God. And now we got the other giggle king who has joined this parade. Yes, Eric Adams. <laughs> who's laughing at us? I mean, seven months into his mayoralty, right? He's supposed to be the law and order mayor. Yeah. I told y'all. I've known the guy for 40 years. Oh, no. Curtis. He was a captain in the NYPD. You ever hear that they're bad cops, too? You know, not everybody's a good cop and was productive. It's like painters and carpenters. Sometimes you say, uh, are, you, are you written up on Yelp? Can I see? And, and you hear, oh, worst plumber I've ever <laughs> Don't go to this guy. You'll be dead. <laughs> oh, but he was a captain in the NYP. Oh, captain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Schmucks, putzes. Look at this. Did you see the new crime stats? It's never been higher. Eight years of Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who single-handedly destroyed the city that we all love. He never had crime stats this bad. You know, for a while there, the murder rate and the shootings were going down. Well, guess what? They're back up. They skyrocketed. 40% crime increase right across the board. Pick your poison. You want to get robbed? Hey, it's up. Uh, You want a home invasion? It's up. You want your car jacked? It's up. You want your car stolen? It's up. There's not a crime category that isn't up. And where was our mayor tonight? Of course, the Club Zero Bond. 
He left. He left at approximately 2.48 in the morning. And the guy would say, what do you care? As long as I'm up and at him in the morning, you know, cutting ribbons and having press conferences and doing live at 5. Oh, my God, what a horrible mistake. And then George Soros, right? The man who has helped elect all of these turn them loose district attorneys like Alvin Bragg. Like the district attorney, Kramer, in Philadelphia. Like Fox in Chicago. It can go down the laundry list. In a Wall Street Journal article, George Soros insisted that soft on crime district attorneys, he's backed to the tune of millions of dollars, are making the criminal justice system more effective and more just. And warned that I have no intention of stopping I have deep pockets because I destabilize currency all over the world. That's how I make my money. You know, I almost single-handedly destroyed the sterling pound. You you want me to tell you how I did that? No, 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 George. It's okay. Spare us. This, George Soros, right? But now let's talk about a situation that we have to deal with as a result of the incompetence of the president. By the way, the president was flexing, you know, he said, we got, we got Swahari. We got him in a compound in Kabul, you know, ahead of Al-Qaeda. By the way, we're no longer in Afghanistan because of you. We had to put our tail between our legs and leave. And we got Swahari. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in another 24 hours. Because Zuhari is no longer in charge of Al-Qaeda He's like a placebo. I know he's done horrible things, and I know we want to track him down just like the Jews did Eichmann in Argentina and brought him back to Israel and executed him there. I get it, but let's not create the fact that he is the head of al-Qaeda because he's not. Let's get to the number one story. By the way, uh, why did you cut off the music, Matt Blaze? With a name like that, no doubt you're a fugitive from law with many aliases. Now we're going to talk about the kind of aliens I talk about. Illegal aliens. Not the little gray aliens. Not those things that sometimes dominate the conversation for Frank Morano. By the way, before we do that... Uh, At the start of the program, I told you the last time I saw Frank before he disappeared. He was celebrating National Cheesecake Day on Saturday. It was a Junior's Cheesecake Van. He had five, count them, five slices. Not one of them did he pay for because he has alligator arms. He was snoring the cheesecake. He loves the fromage. And all I said to him is, Frank, Italian cheesecake, it's lighter, it's better. It's made with different products. He said, yeah, but it's not free. And then while he's he's snoring all his cheese, it's pouring down his face. <laughs> he gets into an argument with a guy over how you spell Borough Park, Brooklyn. The guy is saying, Frank, it's Borough Park, B-O-R-O. And I said, guy, I don't know why they call it park. There are no parks in Borough Park. He said, no, no, that's not That's not the argument. And Frank goes on this dissertation, how it's B-O-R-O-U-G-H. And they're getting into a a cat and dog fight. While while the the, the cream cheese from the Junior's Cheesecake is dripping down his mouth. Little Carmine had to watch that. You know, at 40 pounds, Little Carmine was saying, Daddy, could I have a slice, please? 
And by the way, I've tracked down Frank Morano. He's not in Cape May. He's out in Montauk, way out there in the East End, where they have cracked down on all dancing in the nightclubs, the gin mills, and the restaurants where young people flock to in order to dance. And all of a sudden, mysteriously, there's no more dancing. If you get caught dancing, you get fined or guess what? Even in a no-cash-bail state of New York, you could get arrested. Tell me that's not a Frank Morano, huh? Plus, Rachel lives out that way. Doesn't it make sense, huh? Hmm? All right, the story of the day, bar none. Our mayor, the swagger man with no plan, was offered first-class accommodations if he would come down to the border between Texas and Mexico and be able to see for himself what's going on, the Michigash, the craziness. Governor Abbott, to his credit, uh, offered him and the mayor of Washington, D.C., who are moaning and groaning and kvetching about all the illegals coming in to their sanctuary cities, by the way. They're very proud. We're a sanctuary city. Well, if you're a sanctuary city, that means you welcome illegal aliens, right? You roll out the red carpet. You're a friendly environment to illegals. Yeah, but there are too many coming. How many have come to New York, Eric? 3,000. There's like 300,000 living here. How how are we dealing with 300,000? And you're declaring that, oh, 3,000, we can't handle them. And yet Abbott did the right thing. He called them. He called their bluff. And you know what Eric Adams said to his spokesperson at City Hall? I'm not going to give you a photo op. Not going to give him a photo op. This is Mr. Photo Op, live at 5, Eric Adams. I'll guarantee you. If J-Lo or Beyonce were there, he'd be standing knee-deep in the Rio Grande, as polluted as it is. Let's face it. The mayor only wants to be seen with celebrities, not working border patrols or ICE that he calls thugs or the peasant class. Wow, we actually found somebody worse than Bill de Blasio. I think after seven months, can you come to, can you come to that conclusion? I know some of you are still holding out all help. It's National Night Out. I will be going to various precincts. I challenge the mayor, come on out to the 75th precinct in East New York, the largest precinct with the worst crime rate, the most violence in the city, and tell everybody there, the cops, oh, man, you know, give me till January 1st of 2028 to get this situation in control. And he'll be wearing a $5,000 customized suit with his Ferragamas. You expect the cops to believe that bull feathers? Uh, yes, yes. You know, I walk around with swag in my pocket because I like to share it. <laughs> God, that laugh. In my lifetime, there was Hillary's chortle, right? There's Vice President Harold's chortle. And now there's Eric Adams' chortle. <laughs> so... This ongoing war now between Eric Adams and Governor Zabbitt and Governor Ducey in Arizona, they promised that they would put the illegal aliens on who crossed the border onto buses and ship them to D.C. It then becomes a federal issue because it's a federal city. No, it's not a state yet. Thank God. So basically, it's your problem, Biden and Harris, both of whom won't come down to the border. 
So if you're Governor Abbott, you've actually done a good thing. You invited Adams and the mayor of Washington, D.C. down to the board. Even J-Lo. No, let me correct that. AOC, all out crazy. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, better known as Sandra Ocasio when she attended Terrytown Heights High School in the very exclusive town of Terrytown Heights. Not Parkchester, not the Bronx. Even AOC went down to the border. Now, she saw things that nobody else saw, but at least she went to the border. Eric Adams doesn't want to give Governor Abbott a photo op. He will learn. He will learn. You know, I was thinking of this. What do you think, Matt Blaze? Remember the uh, picture that I posted of him on the jet ski over there at Marine Park with that white woman on the back? I still don't know who that white woman is. Holding on for dear life, she was like, oh, my God. He was riding all into Jamaica Bay, you know, flexing. Perhaps he can take his skidoo, his jet ski, down to the Rio Grande and see for himself as he goes up and down. I've been to I'm going to explain that momentarily. The stink from the Rio Grande will twirl the hairs in his nostrils. But let's go to the audio tape because here is Eric Adams describing how good we are and how bad Abbott and Ducey are. Now, uh, the commissioner would say this, uh, but let me tell you this. We, we can, we're not allowed to say we don't have room. We're not allowed to say that. Right to shelter means we have to keep expanding and be creative in our expansion. That means if we have to get hotel rooms, we get hotel rooms. If that means that we have to find other spaces, we'll find other spaces. There's no such thing as this state saying we're turning you away. We're going to have to keep expanding based on the needs, and we're going to have to keep finding the funding based on the needs. That is, that, this is the, the, uh, the hand we are dealt, and we're going to play that, play that hand. And it means moving throughout the five boroughs, wherever we have to place people in a humane environment, we're going to do so. But we're not going to allow people to believe they must sleep on our streets because we're not going to be there to provide them uh, the bedding that they deserve and the housing that they deserve. We're going to keep accommodating whomever's at our uh, uh, coming to our state, and we're going to continue to do that. Reminds me of the story of... Mary and Joseph, the carpenter Joseph, there's no room in this inn. I realize, Matt Blaze, that's not your religion, but you probably heard it enough from the Gentiles right out there. You, you understand the story. No room in this inn. That's why they were out there with the manger. They were out there with the, the lambs and the cows and the, the hay. No room in this inn. Well, he's absolutely right. There was a federal court order. 1981, that states that anybody coming in to the five boroughs who declares that they're indigent, they don't have a place to stay, food to eat, or medicine that they need in medical care, must be given it. He's right. But you would think that a coalition would come together of Democrats and Republicans, especially Eric Adams, the mayor now, and previous mayors, Rudy, Bloomberg, de Blasio, and would challenge this. It's so unfair. No other cities have this burden. If, if Newark doesn't have this burden, you go to Newark, New Jersey, you're not guaranteed the right. Although, who the hell would want to ask for shelter or food or want to spend any time in Newark, New Jersey? They're going to tell you, just put me on the path. I want to go to New York City. 
But we're the only city that's strapped with this. So you would think there would be a coalition of Democrats and Republicans who would say, we can't handle this. It is stressing out our social network system. And naturally, once these illegal aliens bamboozle the Biden administration by all declaring that they're victims of abuse and domestic violence and gang intimidation and political threats because they think they're going to get asylum, which they will. They're not going to stay in Texas or Arizona or New Mexico or California. Some will, but a lot of them are going to be on the road. And they're going to go to cities all across America. And guess what? They've heard about New York, Nueva York. They're coming here. So why wouldn't you join together in a coalition and say, this must be overturned. This is so unfair. Imposed upon New York City and New York City alone by a federal judge. One swoop of the pen of a federal judge. Who the hell elected that guy? Anyway, let's go back to Mayor Eric Adams squirreling around in terms of who to blame. Not Joe Biden, not Harris. He wants to blame Abbott and Ducey. We have not communicated with the other bordering states on, on why they're doing it. It's wrong to send people out of your state. It's wrong to send people out of your state. So let me get this straight. The four border states, and again, I've been to all of them. California. Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, they should have to absorb all the illegal aliens. We shouldn't have to share, even though they're not sanctuary states. California is, not Texas, not Arizona. New Mexico might be now. I have to check on that. Especially Santa Fe. Oh, yeah, and Albuquerque. Yeah. But the point being is, We're a sanctuary city. We're a sanctuary state. Do you know we've been a sanctuary city since Ed Koch was mayor? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Of course you didn't. When Rudy was mayor, we were a sanctuary city. No shucks. Yes. And Bloomberg and de Blasio and Adams. And when George Pataki was governor for 12 years, we were a sanctuary state. Long before George Pataki was elected and beat back Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo. We've been a sanctuary state and city, just like Jersey, long before Shabu, El Jefe, Chris Christie. They were a sanctuary state. So if you're putting a shingle out that says to the illegal aliens in 38 different languages, we are a sanctuary state, what is the definition of sanctuary? Come all. We'll take care of you. We're a sanctuary. So why is he complaining? We're not like those who are sending people away during their time of needs. We are representative of what this country stands for. And what is that, Mayor Eric Adams? We do need help from the federal government uh, through FEMA to assist us uh, that uh, this city was already dealing with a shelter population. And we're going to need help to deal with this unprecedented surge that we are experiencing right now. It's only 3,000. And you're saying you can't handle 3,000? We have at least 300,000 illegal aliens who are living amongst us. And that's on the low side. That's on the low side. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And what finishing words does Mayor Eric Adams have for all of us? And we can't have... 
of the historical, um, I believe people should be housed, but just don't house them on my block. Everyone blocked, everyone's block is going to be impacted by this. And so we have to add our advocacy uh, with our uh, ability to help our neighbors. And we need everyone on board with this, you know, because uh, as I stated last week, our schools are going to be impacted. Our healthcare system is going to be impacted. Uh, our infrastructure is going to be impacted. Uh, but we're willing to do our job, and we're going we're to do our job, and we're going to need all New Yorkers to be with us on this. Ah, but you want Biden dollars, right? Yeah, yeah. More stimulus. There's no more stimulus. By the way, we have 200,000 less public school students because families are taking their kids out in mass. We got plenty of room for the illegal alien kids. I mean, the UFT Union of Failed Teachers is saying we got 200,000 less students, but we want the same amount of money. $36 billion, one-third of a $101 billion bloated budget for the Department of Education, the acronym dumbest organization ever. And one final note. Naturally, the mayor had to comment on the monkeypox emergency situation. By the way, our city Department of Health, three times in two weeks, its website has crashed. When people are seeking uh, to know where it is, they might be able to get a monkeypox vaccination. What Are we going to take any responsibility for this at all, Mayor Eric Adams? We are pivoting and shifting based on the crises that are coming to our city and country. And others look at what we're doing, and they commend what we're doing. So, no, we're not dropping the ball. We, we have the ball, and we want the ball, and we have it in our hands. Uh, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? We want the ball. We have the ball. We're not going to drop the ball. You don't want the illegal aliens. But you want monkeypox? Well, I ain't, wait. Hold on, Matt Blaze. I want to give this man the benefit of the doubt. He beat me in the mayoral contest. He said he was brighter, he was smarter, he was more areodite. He's more seasoned, seasoned politician. Naturally a captain in the police department. But I need somebody to trench. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen closely to what the mayor had to say about monkeypox. And please explain to me what he meant because... I don't understand what the hell he said. We are pivoting and shifting based on the crises that are coming to our city and country. And others look at what we're doing and they commend what we're doing. So, no, we're not dropping the ball. We, we have the ball and we want the ball and we have it in our hands. What the hell does that mean? Who the hell is, what? Co- who the hell is commending us? Oh, you're doing an outstanding job with crime. It's up 40%. Oh, you're doing an outstanding job with the illegal aliens. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, that reminds me. What is it that Eric Adams shares with former Governor Andrew Evilized Cuomo? Matt Blaze, can you please resuscitate the comments that many Democrats have said over and over in both private and in public about Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, ICE? New York State is the state that says we will not cooperate with ICE. They're a bunch of thugs. He politicized ICE. They're a bunch of thugs. We said we will sue them if they violate any criminal laws in the state of New York. ICE. 
These men and women risk their lives every day. They put on bulletproof vests before they leave their home. They get issued retainers. They don't know who the retainers are for until they get them that morning. And in many instances, uh, as former President Donald Trump said, they are bad hombres, rapists, gangbangers, drug dealers, domestic violators. They get arrested by ICE. They get brought to court. If they get found guilty, they do their time here. And then ICE deports them to their country of origin. It's not an easy job. Can I I hear again what Andrew Evilice Cuomo's called him? And by the way, almost all the Democrats refer to ICE as thugs. New York State is the state that says we will not cooperate with ICE. They're a bunch of thugs. He politicized ICE. They're a bunch of thugs. We said we will sue them if they violate any criminal laws in the state of New York. Eric Adams has called them thugs. So uh, many other Democrats. Have they called MS-13 thugs? No. 18th Street? No. Trinitarios? No. Bloods? No. Crips? No. They're wayward youth. They need mentoring. Please, please understand. They're dyslexic. If they weren't dyslexic, they wouldn't be part of the oozy-toting, dope-sucking, psychopathic killing machines that have taken over our city. But ISIS thugs. Wow. You bought all of this crap, ladies and gentlemen. You wanted it. You got it. And when I tour the neighborhoods, as I constantly do, and people say, don't blame me. I voted for Sliwa. <laughs> the joke's on all of us. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're here. Don't get nervous, ladies and gentlemen. The invasion, although underway, well, you know, we're a sanctuary city, a sanctuary state, as is Connecticut, New Jersey, not Pennsylvania to their credit, but Philly is. Yes, Philly is. Plenty of places to come to. Imagine if you were down in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, and you hear Papa Chulo, Joe Biden say, Come, come. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Hey, of course they're going to come. And then imagine all of a sudden they get all the way to New York City and they're being told there's no room for you. So what do we do for them? We put them up in freaking hotels? Did I hear that correctly from Eric Adams? We've got former men and women who have served in the military who may have had emotional issues that have caused them to be homeless. Are we putting them up in hotels? Hell no. But Juan, hey, Juan, hey, Papi Chulo said I can come. Andale, andale. Now, Juan, why are you here? Oh, do you have time? I need to tell you this story. MS-13 tried to kill me. And then all of a sudden, my wife, she beat me up. Wait, it's usually the other way. No, you'd be surprised. And then they... they I invested in Bitcoin in El Salvador. The president, you know, that Ponzi scheme. They said, invest in Bitcoin. I lost everything. I, I, I need asylum. Oh, yeah, that's right. What, what was it? Uh, James Golden was talking NFTs. That's just like Bitcoin. That's just like. Oh, I can't believe this. 
People are getting scammed and bamboozled by these Bitcoin bandits, by these cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, by the blockchain white-collar criminals. And what James said, oh, big, hey, Biggie Smalls, the guy was selling crack to pregnant women. Oh, he's the G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. Not. Now you're going to buy NFTs? That's another Bitcoin ripoff. Well, where is, where is James Golden? Uh, you know, I'd like to smack him right here. Ooh, uh, NFT. Oh, I'm all excited. Hey, James, you want to inv- invest in an NFT and get ripped off? All these celebrity NFTs. People don't even know what I'm talking about now. Please, save your money. You're going to need it for Biden inflation. Don't be investing in Bitcoin. It's nothing but a Ponzi scheme. And NFTs is its kissing cousin. All right, wait a second. We're not, we're not La Mega here. Relax. We're not Radio Water. This happens to be a Puerto Rican, an American. It's the Ugly Duckling, right? With Drake. Oh, no, no. Not the Ugly Duckling. I'm sorry. I'm a little confused here. But he is kind of ugly, man. He is kind of ugly. All right, enough of that. We've frightened our, our audience here. They think they're already here. They've taken over. Puerto Ricanio. Relax, relax. Let's go to the phones. It's Frankie and Glendale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frankie. Hey, Curtis, thank you for bringing, that, uh, bringing it up in regards to the, uh, the state and the city right to shelter laws. First of all, look, I'm not a shyster attorney, but uh, we got to repeal this. This has to be brought up. It seems like the mayor has this not-in-my-backyard attitude. You know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. They've been putting these homeless shelters up all over the city. Okay, to house people that shouldn't be here. Illegals. They're not undocumented. They are here illegally. When do we start housing illegal people in the United States of America? This nonsense has to stop. We, you know, put them in Central Park, set up 10 cities in Central Park. You know, that federal judge you talked about. You know, they wanted a quick fix back then in 1981. They didn't want to see the homeless on the streets. So they said, oh, let's create this uh, 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 system. Well, who are the people behind the curtain making money on the homeless shelters? Let's take a look on how much, how many billions of dollars were wasted well, well, Frankie, on this Frankie, we can, uh, industrial complex we You're got. right. You're right. And it's nonprofits. Friends of the politicians, they are making millions and millions of millions. But right there, Frankie, uh, is that uh, shelter there at Cooper Avenue that used to be that industrial complex, correct, Frankie? Did Frankie uh, leave? I hope you... Yes, uh, Frankie, you have that shelter right on Cooper Avenue that used to be an industrial complex? That's correct. And when I stood out there with your residents and I decried it as de Blasio was shoving homeless people in there that have led to a surge in crime in your area, we were all called racist, remember? Well, I'm not sure if they called us racist, but I'll tell you one thing. that We had other ways of dealing with homelessness in the past where we had churches, you know, that would welcome people in, give them food, Gave them, got them cleaned up and got them food and put them out on the streets again to go to work. 
okay? Legitimate homeless people, but not to house these thousands upon thousands of people. Well, well, no, 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 hold on a second, Frankie. Frank, imagine you're one of these illegal aliens who have come through and you've been invited by our president, Papachulo. They have newspapers in their hands. Their local papers are usually called El Diario. Uh, There have been broadcasts in their country where our president... Uh, has welcomed them into our country. And so when they reach our border, they're saying, well, your president invited us. Why would you suddenly tell us? It is not like when Trump, Trump was telling him, no, you're staying on the Mexico side. You apply for asylum. When your asylum hearing comes up, then we'll deal with you. And if it's legit, we'll let you in. Uh, but Joe Biden has said, no, andale, andale, we welcome you all in. So they're coming under the notion that our president is welcoming welcoming them regardless of who they are into the country. Yeah, well, and the sanctuary city status of New York doesn't help either because, you know, why go to a state that doesn't want you? And, you know, and, and, and people have found out, hey, go to New York. They're going to put you up. Oh, and I it's mean, not just, Frankie, it's not just New York. You would be surprised at the number of locations that are sanctuary states, sanctuary cities, going way back to the 70s. 70s. People don't want to acknowledge that. I know the history of it. Our mayor has been invited, along with the mayor in Washington, D.C., to go down to Texas to see the invasion take place right across the border. He refuses to go. Ha! This guy is Mr. Photo Op. He's like, he said, oh, I don't want to give the governor in Texas a photo op. Man, that was like the dumbest thing that his press attache ever said, because if there's anything that people associate the mayor as being, it's one big photo op all day long. I would tell him, hey, look, I've been to the border many, many times. I've been to Nuevo Laredo, which is the Mexican side of Laredo. The Rio Grande runs right below. That is the border. You cross over on the bridge. It's where most of the truck traffic into the United States from Mexico comes. And remember, Mexico is our third largest trading partner. We depend on a lot of goods coming through Mexico and coming from Mexico into the United States. Now, it used to be you'd have to take your 18-wheel tractor trailer and you would have to disassemble it on the American side and then... Uh, a member of the Teamsters would roll his cab in and he would take the load the rest of the way. Ever since NAFTA, you could be a driver in Mexico and carry the load to the end of where it's supposed to go. That's a problem. But I understand why it takes a long time to uncouple and then couple, change the cab, take the Mexican driver, let him go back to his city of origin, and then have the American Teamster take it the rest of the way. But it would knock off a lot of the stuff that's being brought across the border. The fentanyl alone, I think in 24 hours we'll do, we'll do a fentanyl update. I'm very familiar with fentanyl because I've been on fentanyl. Been on, I know the pluses and minuses of fentanyl. But there's interesting, in Nuevo Laredo, you see all the Americans going over from Laredo, the Texas side, to Walmart-style drugstores. You know what they're going over there for? They're buying cases of Viagra, Levitra, Cialis at incredibly low prices. 
They're like Walmart supermarkets. You can buy steroids there. Not over the counter. Actually, over the counter. You don't need a prescription. You can buy other drugs there in a Walmart-style store. It's not called Walmart, but it's like the size of a Walmart. Drugs here that you would have to have a prescription for there. That's why you have a lot of Americans cross from Laredo to Nuevo Laredo. And then you have certain Americans will go into Nuevo Laredo. They'll take a cab with a Mexican driver, and they'll ask to go to Boys Town. Now, what do you think Boys Town is? Boys Town has young boys that older men can pleasurize themselves with. It's called Boys Town. Everybody knows about it. It brings a lot of money into the area. These pervy men who will cross the border and go to Boys Town to have sex with underaged boys. It's done in the open. Everybody knows about it. On the Mexican side, they get paid off. And on the American side, American authorities know this. They do nothing about it. I've gone into Boys Town. I've seen it for myself. I've reported it to the authorities. And you know what they tell me? Why are you making trouble? Why are you and your guardian angel? What are you coming over here for? Come on. Who cares? Who cares? I care. A lot of other people care. You talk about sex trafficking. They don't have to be sex trafficked to cross the border into the United States. It's going right on in Nuevo Laredo in Boys Town. And it ain't Boys Town outside of Omaha, Nebraska. You know, the movie with Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy. It ain't that kind of Boys Town. Think of Boys of Brazil. Uh, i give you a much better notion of what goes on there. A lot of monkey business, and right now, there's probably a lot of monkey pox being passed around. That's number one. You go to TJ, Tijuana, right? The other side, you have uh, the San Ysidro Canyons. I was in there with the Guardian Angels in the 80s, protecting the illegal aliens who were being robbed and raped. The coyotes would bring them into the canyons, and the off-duty Tijuana police with their windbreakers on that says Tijuana police would be waiting there. The coyotes would lead the illegals right in. They'd be waiting on the soccer field when the sun came down. They'd be buying L.A. Dodger gear and putting it on, you know, to make the bum rush across because they wanted to go to Los Angeles. And then they would figure out where they were going to go from there. They would be raped. They would be robbed. So we went in there and battled with the police from TJ, they pulled guns on us. And you would have immigration. You had the helicopters above us shining the lights down. They did nothing. What do you care? It's a, uh, I care a lot. I'm an American. I care. I can never quite figure out. Somebody could be living in Colonia Juarez, Colonia Libertad. Those are the poor communities on TJ. Not everything is poor. You go up into the hills, they have the racetrack, and they have... A radio station there, the Wolfman Jack, actually broadcast from 100,000 watts, aimed right into the United States. The most powerful radio station in the Western Hemisphere. Right there in the hills, right next to the racetrack. The wealthy live up there. So it's not all poor and impoverished, but I spent a lot of time in Colonia Libertad, Colonia Juarez. And, I mean, we're talking poor no running water, no toilets, outhouses, dirt poor, no electricity. So there'd be little shacks right up next to the border. You see the chickens, you smell the swill. 
And you know these people see the lights in the distance. And yet there are other people who travel hundreds of miles to cross illegally into the United States. And the people on that side of the border don't come across into the United States. They can walk across on any given day. And back then, before Trump fortified uh, the fences, there were people I would meet in the San Ysidro Canyons that would go back and forth. Oh, I just spent six months up in San Francisco. I'm walking back to to TJ and catch a ride to Ensenada. And then finally, the other place uh, that I was in, and this is why uh, Eric Adams should definitely go, because you got to see it for yourselves, El Paso which, believe it or not, does not have a high crime problem in El Paso. I was shocked myself. But on the other side, Juarez, oh, my God. They hang bodies on the bridge that connects Texas, El Paso, to Juarez. They hang them right there, the narco-terrorists, with signs on them in Spanish as they battle for turf in Juarez. Used to be Americans would go to Juarez... The line was bigger going to Juarez than it was coming from Juarez going into America. Now, very few people, unless they absolutely have to, will go from El Paso into Juarez. Now, why wouldn't you take advantage of an opportunity to go down there and see what the problem is like? I don't care what your politics is, whether you're a Republican or Democrat. If Abbott is giving you first-class accommodations, is putting you up, is going to bring you along the border so you can see the invasion taking place. But you see, Eric Adams doesn't want to see what is actually happening because then he would have to blame his mentor, his own Papa Chulo, or as you know, he calls himself the Biden of Brooklyn, Joe Biden, and the missing in action giggles, <laughs> who's in charge of the border, Vice President Harris. Let's go to Lars, who's actually calling from Cali, Cali, California. Your turn to be heard here, Lars. Hey, Curtis. So great to hear you again. Um, I used to love listening to you when you were broadcasting in Los Angeles about, I don't know, five, eight years ago. Yeah, in fact, uh, interesting, Lars, so everybody knows what you're talking about. I was broadcasting at WABC in New York. They had a guy named Al Rentel, their mid-morning guy. Unfortunately, he he broke his hip. He had blood cancer. I substituted for him mid-mornings. KABC in Los Angeles. I wasn't there. Nobody didn't think I was there because I know all about Los Angeles. So I was able to do a program about Los Angeles for Los Angelinos. And everyone thought I was in Los Angeles, Lars. It was great radio. We miss you. Oh, no, no, I'm trying to convince uh, owner-operator of WABC, John Katsimatidis, to buy KABC. Uh, that, I, that's, I'm passionate about that. Well, that's great. But listen, the reason for my call, I have a cautionary tale for you New Yorkers. Los Angeles, we've been impacted by illegal immigration for the last 30 years. What you guys are currently going through, we've been dealing with that for 30 years. It has impacted our school system, our freeways, the cost of housing, the homeless population. So you guys need to get a handle on this immediately because you're going to look like us. We have the largest homeless population in the country, and it's connected to illegal immigration. 
You're, you're so correct, Lars. I've been in those encampments uh, right outside of what they usually call Staples Center. They named it after some Bitcoin bandits now. I'm warning everybody out there. I got to have a conversation with James Golden promoting Biggie Smalls NFTs. It's a ripoff NFTs. Bitcoin ripoff. It's cryptocurrency ripped off. Blockchain ripoff. Don't get suckered in. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Think this was a patriotic American song? Not. Then in the 88 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, President Ronald Reagan said, There's a young man from Freehold, New Jersey. He's a true patriot. You know, the boss kept his mouth shut because if he actually told the truth of what this song is about, the sales would have plummeted. But what the hell? Ronald Reagan was giving him a boost, right? And he's been a fake, phony, fraudulent fagazi ever since. And many of you have said, well, the boss, he's the working class hero. Not. Those days of freehold are gone. Long live Rumson and the one percenters. And Farmer Springsteen, what has he got? His homegrown back there, Sensimilia? How's he growing? Come on, you know Matt Blaze. What's he growing? Maui Waui Hindu Kush, you know, in the atrium there. And then writing off his property taxes in New Jersey. And does the guy who calls all the sucker taxpayers in New Jersey knuckleheads, does half in the bag Murphy say anything about him and Bon Jovi? Farmer Bon Jovi, Farmer Springsteen, Farmer's my ass. What a bunch of rip-off artists. Oh, yeah, but they're good people. Yeah, good for who? Themselves. The guy just sold his library of songs that he and he alone owns for $550 million. So what did they do? They decided, oh, you know what? We're going to go back out on tour like all the other rockabillies on the Depends tour. Uh, you know, we haven't been out there since 2016. We really need to get it cranking. Let's go, uh, let's go sell the tickets. $5,000. $1,000. What happened to the working class hero? Well, you notice Springsteen is not saying anything, but his manager, hey, come on, this is capitalism. No, no, that's uber capitalism. That's a ripoff. And then all of a sudden, the Schmata boy, Stevie Van Zandt, friend of Sid Rosemary, in fact, Sid did maybe his best interviews ever, back-to-back, belly-to-belly. You got to get him on his podcast with uh, Stevie Van Zandt. Really great stuff. But Stevie Van Zandt, if you know him, he's a liberal progressive. He's to the far left. So he was asked, what about these prices? You know, people are going to be losing jobs. There's inflation. Hey, don't ask me. I'm not going to say nothing. Of course, you're rolling in dough. And then a group of men and women appealed to Bruce. And I figured, oh. They're going to talk about dropping dropping the price, you know, making it reasonable. No, Bruce, Bruce, if there are any states you're going to that are pro-life, cancel your tour. You want to bet he's going to go to those? He's going to go wherever the freaking money leads him. And who's going to be in the front row there doing the jiggle wiggle? His number one sickle fan, Toadie Lackey Roadie, Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie will be saying, Bruce, I'm here, could you... Can you acknowledge me, Bruce? And Bruce is going to toy with him like a cat does with a mouse. 
Can you imagine what a masochist to have gone to see a Bruce Springsteen concert? I think the record for Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie is 178 times. He's gone overseas and never once will Farmer Bruce acknowledge him. Please, I'm here. I wish you weren't. That's really what uh, Stevie Van Zandt and Bruce and E Street Pan is saying. I really wish you weren't there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a reverse mortgage. I'm gonna take a payday loan. Uh, I'm gonna see Bruce Springsteen. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.